Hello, and welcome to Metrospective, the mecha podcast where we cover everything from Astro Boy to Mazinger Z. I'm Tooch. I'm Devin, and uh, we're back at the Universal Century for the for the first time. Well, we're back again. It's only been a little bit, actually. We just talked about uh, Origin. But, um, like, you... doing, going <laughs> back to the world of Edeon from the Universal Century is like whiplash, because there's such different kinds of sci-fi. Uh, I mean, I don't know. This th- both shows definitely have total weenies in it that are supposed to be protagonists. Yeah. This this yeah. week. Um, but what I was what I was laughing about while you were doing that intro was like, what if for when we clap to synchronize the podcast, it's like time like as time dot is counts down. It's just like. <laughs> The the I will say the score of, of Stardust Memory was way better than any of the Getter OVAs. Gundam OVAs all have good scores. They do. Gundam OVAs are such are such like their own little treat, their own little so, thing. Uh, before we far formally get into this discussion, let me propose to you my first of many questions because I always mm-hmm. like picking your brain about this. Because I'll give you my answer after I hear yours. Mm-hmm. I because there's other Gundam OVAs we haven't done yet. Like we did Thunderbolt and Origin. Which are also one-year war stories. We yeah. have yet to do MSA Glue. That's the big OV, and that's the only one-year war thing we haven't done yet. And we'll get, we'll get. I was thinking we do a double feature of that in Paleson Files for Votoms, so we could do the two like weird CGI OVAs together. Yeah, that sounds fun. Where we do like those two together, because uh, all three MSA Glue OVAs all are like a total of nine episodes, because each one of them is only three episodes long. Hmm. But I consider the, like, War in the Pocket, Stardust Memory, and 08th MS team to be, like, kind of like a loose trilogy. They're definitely... Y- yeah, you know what? They, they, they are. They're, they're definitely a loose trilogy of, side sto- of, of like, side stories. Although, <laughs> I would... They definitely get bigger in scale as they go on. Well, because um, uh, the the production order was War in the Pocket, Stardust Memory, and Eighth MS Team last. Although, like, I think all all three of them, all three of them propose this sort of notion of like, hey, the One Year War was was such a fucking c- cartoon fight cloud of just like arms and legs and people swinging chaotically, like it's an eight player Smash Brothers fight that there were enormous uh conflicts and mobile ardor mobile armors and crazy events happening that like most people who were alive during the time probably didn't know about even if they tried to follow everything going on in the one year war like well cuz like the so one year war was shit. a was a global conflict there was it was a universal front you had like because from 0079, we only see thing. We only see the last three months of the war in 0079, and from the point of view of like a single ship. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, and then that's interesting because then War in the Pocket gives you kind of like is that the War in the Pocket is at the tail end of the war, showing you kind of everything from the point of view of like a civilian. Mm-hmm. Um, war in the Pocket is the 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 first of many of. Zeon's last stand, heavy scare quotes last stands, and then uh, you get you know eighth M- you get Warren that's Warren the pocket like MS Igloo is interesting because it's in the first two OVA MS Igloo OVAs are entirely from the Zeon perspective, 
which is interesting. That is. Thunderbolt shows you, like, what the last days of the war was like. Bad. Yeah, bad. Um, Eighth MS team showed you kind of a little more onto the uh, the Federation side of uh, on the ground because we when we see the uh, the fighting on Earth in 0079, we see like North America in the show. We see the Battle of Odessa in Eastern Europe, but mostly we're we're in North and South America throughout most of 0079 before they go back into space. So we never see what the fuck's going on in Asia, which is where we get a glimpse of that in Eighth MS team. Mm. And uh, as our friend Pigeon brought up, 8th MS Team and Stardust Memory are a little more hard sci-fi where they kind of, they, they, they go a little more into like just portraying the mobile suits as like machines as opposed to like anime mecha robots. White devils. <laughs> <laughs> where like, as Pigeon said, there's like an entire episode all about make, like, trying to get Gundams through the desert without them being destroyed by like dust. Yeah, and and I I will say that I I am of two I am of two minds about that, you know it, because it it is really neat and it is really impressive, but especially oh especially, uh, double O eighty three and just the the way the characters are intrinsically tied to, like the 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 specs of the Gundam like like Ko and Nina their whole relationship started because they both are really hype about like working on and perfecting this awful war machine <laughs> fucking but they they love it a lot and that's never taken to task because I think the staff who made this also loves it a lot and that's fair I get it but in t- like for me for Tooch for Tooch in 2020 it's it's a yikes uh I see like, what you mean just, just because it's like you know, like Nina, I, they're not like they are naive, in a way that the text doesn't do enough to grapple with. They don't really suffer any consequences for being all in on how fucking sick it is to build and pilot Gundams. Like, even well, when I, I would disagree uh, a little bit. Uh, sure. I would disagree a little bit. Um, from this point onward, I would say if you have not seen the nineteen ninety one. Uh, OVA Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory. Uh, full spoilers from here on. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Okay, like, you know what? We're, we are getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let's s- summarize. The let's question, start. The question I was going to ask you before uh, ask you that I didn't get to though. Oh was, shit! You uh, never got to the if you were gonna if you were going to rank the three like '90s, even though War of the Pockets '89, but whatever the three like '90s OVAs, mm-hmm. how would you rank them? I would personally rank them from top to bottom. Uh, War in the Pocket, 8th MS Team, and then Stardust Memory at the bottom, but not saying Stardust Memory is a bad show. Yeah, this is... Yeah. I would agree with that. That was going to be my my first one. But again, it's... it's, Ranking things for me is so hard because I am just so... I am so insufferably... uh, What's the word? Just I... I see something for what I I see something for what it is, and what that is is its own thing. And if you ask, oh, is this one better or worse than this other thing? My knee jerk is to be like, but they're so different, even though they're all literally Gundam series 
OVAs produced within the same decade, covering a lot of the same themes and imagery, and it's like, Tooch, you... Tooch, you ignorant slut. Um, but, because uh, they are different, but but no, I... I, I I would agree with it. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I would put I would put War in the Pocket at the top. But again, that's that's because I think we're coming from a lot of the same sensibilities and what we not necessarily want out of Gundam, but the things that get us the most excited about Gundam. Um, I mean, like, I don't get me wrong. I like a yeah, cool robot. I, I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I, I don't no, yeah, same. Be, I'm not gonna be too too high and mighty and like scoff and say Votoms is superior because of its lack of yeah, cool robot. But like, I will. That's my job. But like, I like like I was talking to somebody about Evangelion, and I was saying like, uh, a friend of mine said that like, um, there was a somebody s- said some. It's a secondhand quote for that it comes from like it's like two gen two ways away from me. But somebody said told me a quote that even Twin Peaks is about cops in the way that Evangelion is about robots. And it made me think, I'm like, yeah, like, Evangelion, like, some people love to say, oh, Ava's not really a mech series, but I'm like, Evangelion is like two animes in one. You get a very good introspective character study on top of a legitimately very good mecha series. Like, you get both. You can enjoy it both chambers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I feel about Gundam, is that not only is it a good, cool mecha series, it's also a gripping and engaging narrative that says a lot. Yes. It has I, actual substance, but it also has all the dope frosting that tastes very good on top of it. Sure. Um, I, 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 and I guess where that comes from is just, just for my money, like, because, because super robots exist, I am always more invested in going to, to wow, to going to robot spectacle in those types of shows, because those types of shows generally aren't, they're very upfront about like, hey man, we're not trying to grapple with uh, the atrocities of war. We're we're just trying to have a good time. Uh, yeah. So I'm way more forgiving for that. Uh, but with Gundam, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, war like war is hell, and I'm like, yeah, but it sure looks cool, huh? Hmm. Weird. Uh, buy toys. Uh, but I get it. Model I do get kits, it. Teach I, model kits. <laughs> that's true. You can't play with them. They'll fall the fuck apart. Um, <laughs> but um. I, I I mean I I'm I am ultimately I I can't I can't even necessarily bang that drum super hard because fucking man is cool fucking mech animation in this fucking OVA it's real good <laughs> yeah the, from a from, I would say from a visual technical animation perspective this is probably like the height of '90s Gundam I don't know if I don't necessarily know I mean. Does Gundam look? Is there any other Gundam thing that, in terms of like traditional animation, looks as good as eighty three? I I don't know. I'd say Eighth MS Team runs close. I, I'd have to watch Eighth MS Team again. I haven't seen it since honestly the last time we talked about it. Yeah, I think. I think I'd say this good. and Eighth MS Team are probably on the same level. Well, I mean, how far apart did they air? This was ninety one, ninety two. I think Eighth MS Team was like ninety seven to ninety nine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'd have to watch it again, but I think, I think just because of, I think just because that like, uh, 0083 ha- like also not not just in terms of its animation style, but because its its narrative and its themes, or at the very least the character motivations were also so tied to these machines being machines and seeing them as machines. Um, I think that this staff in particular put 
a lot of emphasis on it um, in a in a good in a good way. Um, you know, you always love to talk about that one shot where it's like you can see. Is, is that this the one? Zaku's the Zaku, eye. how the yeah. Zaku's eyeball actually functions in its head as a mechanism. Um, yeah, that's that shit is really that's. I'd say when it comes to things I positively think about Stardust Memory, it's little things like that. It's little things like like them taking the trouble, them taking the time to show Gato's nuke bazooka like drilling itself together. Yeah, like there's there's lots of just like if you like mechanical animation. This is this is this is porn. This is it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think all of the OVAs have that going for them because it was it was still it was still of an era where they had they like not not even like chose to they felt like you fucking they had to they had to traditionally animate all that shit. So it's either like you they had to traditionally animate it all, and it was an OVA, so each episode had more had more production time and more budget. And so I think I think the Gundam OVAs like just look are gonna are gonna look they're gonna look good forever. <laughs> yeah, these uh, I'll like I I'll always remember the uh, the fight from Eighth MS team toward the end uh, with Shiro in the Easy Eight versus the Goof. Oh yeah, oh yeah, in Eighth MS team and just like. How dope that in all the animation and that is Shiro sliding down the skyscraper, like firing everything. There's cartridges and bullets flying everywhere. Just the the, the, the all the mobile suits are covered in muck because, of course, they're fighting in on Earth, so there's dust everywhere. There's dust everywhere, and then like it, they they because since the Goof Custom has a sword, uh, you get you get a lot of sick, just like uh, oil standing in for blood shots. Yeah, when it's and it's hacking apart the gun it's tanks. Like, yeah, it's yeah. so good. Um. Uh, so let's officially dive. Yes. And that's where I play the winner. So we have two openings here. Who won? Nobody wins in this one. <laughs> Nobody wins. I don't think anybody really... The only person Nobody who won was Yamatov. And maybe Basque. But uh, what did you think of the uh, of the two openings? I, I like both of these openings. I think they're solid songs. I like both. They're, I prefer the first one. They're um, both. Uh, the first one is The Winner, and the second one is uh, Men of Destiny. Sung by, I think it's either Mio or M I Q. I can't tell. People either spell people spell it sometimes with an O or with a Q. So I'm mm -hmm. not sure if it's Meek, Mike, or Mio. But I know she also sings the first Elgheim theme and the Dunbine theme. Oh, neat! Atta, so she's atta, gonna... atta, yeah. She has she has like a nice low voice. It's good. And I but I always think of um, the double eighty three openings when I think of her. I guess it's because I saw these first. Mm -hmm. Uh, the ending theme, the, the first ending theme is fucking baffling. 
Yeah. It's just like a weird R&B love ballad in English. It's... <laughs> It really makes me flash back to when they sold compilation CDs on the TV and would make themes for each CD and like there was there was there was always like one that was like a love ballad and I just picture like a five a five second clip of this of of fucking fucking so I think it's called magic yeah 0083's ending and then it, and then it like cuts to like and then a narrator going like and other sultry soulful hits and it's like here and now I'm <laughs> just like shit my mother-in-law listens to when she's cooking breakfast downstairs it's great it i i i love that like that that song really grew on me because and in a way where it's like it would come on and i would kind of chuckle and i'd be like this is this is great. My all-time favorite uh and again I'm I'm so I feel like we're I feel like this this episode in particular we're getting ahead of ourselves so much but my my favorite implementation of this not I guess tone deaf but also it really just owns itself. It makes you it makes you believe that this ending fits this show somehow uh just through sheer force of will but my favorite use of it is in episode six or seven when oh when that's six when yeah Co- when Cohen and kelly are fixing the mobile armor. and it's like they're like they're like like having a they're like they're other they're having an otherwise extremely platonic like platonic male bonding moment but like they're like you know they're they're helping each other fix it and they're, they're getting up on each other's shoulders and like making a lot of like close physical proximity and contact to one another while this soulful love ballad is playing I it's great. Like is 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 Co cooking this man's wife? <laughs> so she certainly we, we acts think... like he did. <laughs> oh god, poor Latora. That's her name. I don't know why I remember it. Latora, my my favorite Jackson sibling. Um, just kidding. So, uh, do you want to go into characters or mech designs first? Um, fucking. Uh, let's go to mech designs, because I have so much more to say about characters. <laughs> hey guys, Devin here, from the future, with a couple corrections. Uh, we're gonna have some misinformation here that I don't want to spread, but, uh... First of all, it is Shoji Kawamori. That's that's how you say it. I, I say it five different ways because I'm stupid and I'm white and I'm an American. And second of all, he only designed the uh, Gundam Zephranthes, Fulvernian, and the uh, Physalis. The GPO-3 Dendrobium was designed by now, you know, uh, famous mech designer Hajime Kotoki, where he really got his start here and in the Gundam Sentinel photo novel. So, uh, Hajime Kotoki designed a lot of the Xeon mobile suits, and a couple other designers were involved as well. And now back to the episode! Okay, so, uh, the mech designs in this were done by Shoji Kanamori, who is, or Shoji Kawamori, I don't remember, it's Kanamori or Kawanori, and I don't want to make a ton of weird clicky sounds with my I'm, keyboard. I'm sure, a na- I'm sure a native Japanese person would tell you both are wrong. Uh. Uh, but he's known for the, being the uh, the head creative force of the Macross series. Ooh. 
And, you know uh, what? I was is... fucking think I I got so many Macross vibes from this whole fucking thing. So that tracks. Well, I think I I will say right down like when we're in the like Top Gun kind of vibe of the early part of this series of like the first third. I think Macross Plus does that better. Yes. But I think that's I mostly because I, I think it's mostly because Macross Plus is not Gundam, so it <laughs> that helped. Yeah. So we have right here the MS the MS06 Zaku 2 F2. So this this is actually uh, an upgraded this since this OVA came out after uh, War in the Pocket two years later. There there is a lot of carryover from War in the Pocket. Uh huh. Where Bernie's Zaku from War in the Pocket was the Zaku FZ, which was a, uh, a like a late production type Zaku that never went into full mass production because of you know the end of Zeon. Yeah, they they ran out of they ran out of everything. So essentially, this is like a mass-produced version of what, uh, you know, Bernie had. So it has, instead of having the typical, like, Zaku machine gun with, like, the drum clip, mm -hmm. it has kind of, like, a more traditional-looking assault rifle. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just a Zaku. I, I just, once again, the meticulous des mech designs are part of the charm of the series, da I think. Dazzle said, no more Zakus, we need these parts for Big Zam. That's, all, that's pretty much exactly what happened. We gotta mass-produce the Big Zam. Uh, so this is so, but here we're gonna start going in through. Um, you want to go through Zeon first, because uh, we did the Zaku too. But we can, let's go through Federation. Let's do it in the way it's ordered on this website. Yeah. Uh, next, we have the Gelgoog Marine. What website are we using? What website are we using, by the way, so people can? Uh, Mahq Mecha Anime Headquarters. Mahq.com, probably the best website to uh, for anything real robot related. I think it's .net. It is .net. Couldn't get that .com. So, Who knows what that other website is? So this is the MS MS fourteen F Gelgoog Marine. Any thoughts on this boy? Just it's, it's a Gelgoog. I I like Gelgoogs. I feel like Gelgoogs don't get enough uh, don't get enough love. They're they're very. I was they're, gonna say I, I agree. like their shoulders. I think, think Gelgoogs are my favorite like Xeon type mobile suit from an aesthetic perspective. I know you're partial to goofs. I do like goofs, um, but yeah, I, I like. I like the Gelgoog because it seems like something that would be like okay, let's do a Zaku, but more. I like them better than I like them better I I like them better than at guys and, and Zigox. Uh what about Doms? We're gonna look at some Doms soon. Rick Dom Doms are Doms are good. I think Doms and Gelgoogs are in the same tier for me. Yeah, Doms are pretty good. I if I was a Zeon if I was a Zeon pilot, I would want a Gelgoog, personally. If I was a Zeon pilot honestly if I was a Zeon pilot I would I would want well first of all, if I was a Zeon pilot, <laughs> fuck if somebody save me. Uh, <laughs> um, if I was if I was a Zeon pilot, I'd just be that one arm guy, sad in my shed, building a mobile. Sad arm. But in my I would, Yeah, but I wouldn't. I but I wouldn't join up with the SEMA the fleet or whatever. Um, but with the Delos fleet. Yeah, with the Delos fleet. But I would join up with SEMA if fucking SEMA came knocking. I'd be like, yes, ma'am. What do you need from me? Um, <laughs> uh, but. I, th I feel like I would pile, uh, at, no, Zagox are, Zagox are the diggy ones? What are the ones that dig? Uh, those are, those are the Zagox. Those, Zagox. like, Char had one. They have, like, the kind of bendy arms and the claw hands. At guys are more aquatic. Zagox mm. are, te are technically amphibious mobile suits, too, but at guys are a little more. I think I would, uh, you know what? Just give me a Zaku, too. Fuck it. Just good, good old Zaku? Good old Zaku, too. So next we have a ball. 
once again, like that's oh, friend. Okay, yeah. We can go through. We can go through the balls. Next, we have the GM ga- uh, Cannon Three. Well, the GM Cannon Two. So uh, this is what Keith pilots throughout most of the series. I like that it has the uh, War in the Pocket style like external armor. Yeah, that was really cool. That, I didn't notice it until I saw had. one. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really notice it until I saw one standing in the hangar with one without the armor, and I was like, "Oh, it's like the Gundam Alex." Yeah. So. Um, I kind of like that you can see that the gun cannon has kind of been completely phased out. It's just been replaced by, like, inc- in- like the GM designs. I'm a big fan of GMs, so th- we have some good GMs in this. Mm-hmm. And the GM cannon, too, is quite good looking. They kind of have, like, a cool, like, Halo-esque commando look. It- they're fun. Yeah, I-, I like that the that the cannons, that the shoulder cannons move autonomously to one another. Yeah, so you can, like, position them, aim at multiple targets. Yeah. Next, we got the power GM, which we only really see in the beginning. But uh, I kind of like this little lanky boy. It's a regular GM with some like external yeah, add-ons. Looks, uh, looks, looks lean. Looks lean. Looks, looks fast. Looks, looks agile. 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 So then there's the GM Type C, which is a. Uh, this is once again kind of a recycled uh, design from War in the Pocket. It's mm-hmm. it's once again just the power GM without the armor. I don't think we ever see it fully animated because it has the like armor it, add-ons. It just fucking looks. It just fucking looks like. It, it just looks like. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> it looks like just uh, the R like the RX seventy two the RX seventy eight two's like boring cousin. <laughs> yeah, it's cousin Daryl. <laughs> so up up next we have the GM custom, which is kind of the mainstay of the Albion. Yeah, now this is a fucking... This is fucking cool. This is cooler than a lot of Gundams. Yeah, the GM Custom is sick. I'm a big fan of the GM Custom. I actually, uh... I went on a tear and I bought a ton of uh, GM high grades I never never built. They're in my closet. Um, in the Zeta movies, they, uh, have a version that w- was painted Ayug colors. Oh, fun. So they, uh... So... If you consider that little aspect of those movies canonical, you could say that these have stayed in service all the way up to the Grips conflict. Nice. With the um, with you the AU st- taking a couple they, of these, they stayed in service for a grip. <laughs> I like their I like their color. It's like uh, it's it's kind of gray, kind of blue. It just it just looks good. This it's is probably what this is probably what what Tomino would have liked the original Gundam to look like. Honestly, yeah, this is probably what something closer to what Tomino had in mind. Uh, following that, we have the GM Quell. It makes a small uh, appearance in the hangar of the Albion in the last episode, and we can the color scheme is uh, not great in terms of what it, it means. Yeah, it is a pretty good looking mobile suit. Uh, it's it's colored for those who have not seen what this looks like. It is it's very similar to the GM Custom with with a uh, it's a bit sleeker and has a purple and black color scheme, which is if you're familiar with Zeta Gundam. Is kind of the the color scheme of the Titans going forward. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, one of the tool one of the tools in fascism's disposal is aesthetic. Yup. Yup. <laughs> we, we love our new cool jackets. We love our new cool jackets. <laughs> so let's go. We got some Gundams. Let's look at some Gundams. Yeah. We got the uh, the GPO one Zephranthes. What do you think? Of, I actually really like the 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 first, like the Zephyranthes, the Gundam Unit One. I it, it looks it, it has a, it has its own unique profile. It doesn't just look like another uh, 
another gun. It just, just doesn't look like just the RX-78 again. It It's a little like, rounder. Looking at it, looking at it here in in just like a model sheet sort of uh, setting, like yeah. Although watching it and seeing it in motion and just being so like if t- like there's there's zero precedent for this, but in a hypothetical world where for some reason the RX seventy eight was also there next to it, I probably would have gotten a better sense of it. But while I was watching it, I I did have moments of of looking at Unit One and Unit Three and just being like, yeah, I don't know, man. It just looks like a it just looks like the it just looks like the seventy eight, but like shaped different. But looking at it now. Yeah, you're right. The proportions are way. This is its own thing for sure. It's it's, it's cool. It's, its legs are it's it's squ- it's got a squatter torso and its legs are longer. Um, it, it looks a little more aerodynamic. It's less boxy. Yeah. Is it a is is it a it's a core fighter, right? Yeah, it uses the core block system that um the RX seventy eight uses. You can tell. It's the, I I think. Uh, and again, because the mech design in this is so much more meticulous, you can really tell they they designed this thing from top to bottom. Like, step one was like, we gotta make sure you can look at this thing and know that it's got a core. <laughs> and like, even, I, that's what I like, one of my favorite parts of this series in terms of like, combat animation is when when uh, Ko actually utilizes that in combat. Yes. Oh, also it doesn't have a skirt. Really. It doesn't have a skirt. No, Nakey. So up next, we then have the Zephranthes Full Burnern or the Full Vernian, which is kind of it's upgraded for space combat. Yes, I think this is the one I was thinking of more. Um, it, uh, but even this one looks. I, I I like its its feet are pointier than a traditional Gundam. It honestly looks. It's, it has this one has a skirt now. <laughs> it looks more macross. Its feet are very macross. It does have it. It honestly, yeah, it does have big Shoji Kanamori feet. <laughs> and it has. I like it's kind of the weird thrusters on the back. Those are pretty unique. I love the thrust. I, I always... do love the thrusters, and I loved how much that they got utilized. Because like they very they very much were like uh, that. Because when Ko you know go launches in the Zephranthes, <laughs> he gets his ass kicked because it's not made for space combat. This this show this show does this o- this OVA pays more attention than I think any other Gundam series up to this point for sure. Of just like I, I guess the, it's only it's only rival would probably be uh, Thunderbolt of just like th- constantly paying attention to how these machines can could and like could move in space in what like not only just not only just in general but also if they wanted to do a specific thing what would have to happen mechanically for that to, to happen. Tomino just panned like Zaku cells across the screen. Yeah, um, my, 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 and I my... like that. Don't get me wrong; I oh, love yeah. Tomino's direction. It's just yeah. that this this cares more about that than Tomino did, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but this was made by uh, this this one more than anything seems like it was made by Gundam nerds. Yes, which is probably why, which is probably why it's it's very hit or miss for me in a lot of ways because like it's, the, I I have. I have so many, um, not necessarily hang-ups, but just, like, I, I worry. I worry when fans take over a thing, uh, because, because of how fans be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think a lot of my, a lot of my, 
you know, this I do overall. Overall, I do enjoy this show. It's a good show. Um, but I think a lot of my cons, like a lot of my my negative points for this show, probably do stem from the fact that like this was made by people who, while I do think they also love all of the all of the shit that I love about Gundam, I think they they also do love a lot of shit that like maybe Yoshiki Tomino and a lot of other people involved probably would be like. No, that's not really why we made Gundam. That's not really what Gundam's about. But yeah, yeah for sure, uh, cling on to that one and, and make it make it a make it a focal point of the series now. Sure, um, but so but, moving on. <laughs> yeah, what I, uh, what uh, I was gonna, just, yeah, but but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> n- no, I was I was pretty much done. But that's the, it's a confl- it's a conflicting point because I do love I do love I I think I I don't like. I didn't. I didn't like what ended up happening. Like the 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 hangups I have with it narratively, but in terms of animation and presentation, it it made. For some I think it phenomenal... does a lot to make mobile suits seem more feasible and believable as machines. Yes. Than just the Gundam pan, be, the cell of the Gundam being panned across the screen, and that's it. It moving. Yes. So we have the Faisalis, the Gundam Unit Two. What do you think of this chunky boy? It, I was literally about to use that phrase, chunky, chunky boy. This, this, I like, I like this one. I like, I, I, I like this one a lot. It stands out a lot. Love its, 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 love its silhouette. Um, it's just, let's make the Gundam thick. Is essentially what they did. Let's, let's just make, make a super heavy armor Gundam with its nuclear equipped. And since it's piloted by by Gato, who's voiced by Akio Otsuka, the Japanese voice of Solid Snake, this is a nuclear-equipped walking battle tank. So technically, this thing is also a Metal Gear. I was about to say it was a Metal Gear, but I didn't know it was piloted by Solid Snake. Yeah, it's pilot. It, Gato is voiced by Akio Otsuka. <laughs> That's very good. Um. But. What else is there to say about this thing? I like how if you remove the big fuck off things on its back, it actually has a pretty similar profile to the Zephyranthes, mm-hmm. which I'm only really now noticing. But I just I like I I always thought this one stuck out as a very unique Gundam design. It it really is it really is the the bear to the Zephyranthes twink. It really is. Um, speaking of something that's even bigger than this, ooh. we got the Dendrobium. What what do you think of this ridiculous thing? I love I love the Dendrobium. This might be my favorite mech design in the entire uh, entirety of 0083. I think I honestly think that like intentionally or not, it I think it I think it it, it it I don't know how intentional it is in terms of its design, but I think it works well as like narratively and thematically uh like a herald of things to come for the federation cuz like at, like i i look at it and i th- and i think huh that just kind of looks like a mobile armor and then i think huh the titans like mobile arm like in the the one year war mobile armor is what the bad guys used uh and then i think about zeta gundam and i'm like the titans are the bad guys now and they're making they're turning they turned a gundam into a mobile armor <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing about the Dendrobium that I like is the fact that it's kind of like it's it's a mobile suit for a mobile suit. Yeah, no, it's and it's the concept of that is interesting to me. I, I from think, like a weird philosophical standpoint. <laughs> I I think this is I think it's like a cranked up to eleven version of, of, of the concept of like uh all of all of all of uh, all of the RX 78s like no longer canon add-ons with its core system. 
Yeah. Like it's shitty this jet legs. This is that taken to the absolute extreme. It's it's jet legs and it's fucking flail. <laughs> the beam javelin. The beam javelin, but they're all but what if they were all but what if the Gundam put all of them on at once and also had Macross missiles? Yeah, the de- my favorite thing about the Dendrobium in terms is like I love how it has a missile that just fires more missiles. It yes, it has yes, yes. It launches, it launches a missile launcher. It's to me this thing. Honestly, eat your fucking eat your fucking heart out, heavy arms. Okay, like, <laughs> like any time Double Eighty Three is in a Super Robot Wars game, I'm just so hyped to get this thing. Troa Barton could never. Troa Barton. Imagine that. You, Troa Barton, you have been outdone by Ko Iraki. <laughs> One more thing for him to be sad about. Yeah. Go go, go! do your weird clown routine. Go be a sad clown. So then, uh, the last part for the Federation, we have the Dendrobium Stamen, which is the Gundam that's inside of it. I We only see this thing very briefly in the show, but I actually really like this design. I love it a lot. I would, I would, I would watch... I would I would watch a f- I would watch a tw- twenty five episodes of th- with this thing, I I, w- I would I would enjoy this thing until I got a mid season upgrade in a full fifty episode series. Yeah, well, the the mid series upgrade being the 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 Orcus. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the stamen or the, it's the stamen because it's like the the pistol and the stamen and a flower. Right. Yeah. So it's this is but I always like um one thing I like is that in uh the Gundam versus games when you play as this thing. Instead of you getting the entire big, uh, the big mobile yeah, weapon the big platform, thing. it like um, anytime you fire a weapon from it, it just kind of materializes. So Ko like so, so then like one of the big wings appears and fires off one of the missiles, then vanishes. That's pretty. That's pretty good. And then Ko's like super move is that he summons the whole thing and kills you, like he kills Sima. Oh my god. Is, has, but, uh, has Sima been in a... In a, in a... Yeah, I, play, I play it as her all the time. I love the Gebera Tetra, which we'll see soon. Yes. Sima deserves uh, but better. This, I love the the, 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 like, the the weird verniers, the the jets on the back. It just This thing looks great. It looks... It has it resembles the RX-78 more, but takes everything interesting about the Zephranthes and injects it into the original RX-78 design. Yeah, it has a lot more... It has a lot of vents... Uh, I like its big knees. I don't know what function they serve. I'm almost positive they serve some sort of mechanical function because this They're is probably just to protect the memory. Yeah, oh, it, it's probably to help it. It probably what plugs into the thing. And um, also, yeah, the the little plugs there probably. It's also there to probably stabilize and balance it. Yeah, I would. I would probably. I could probably. I would probably know that if I bought like a model kit of it. But like, I don't want to fucking build the rest of that behemoth. They have made a high grade of the dendrobium. I believe. I believe it. But still, no high grade big zam. Uh, cowards! They're cowards. Oh, here it is. The Gerbera. Te- the Gerbera Tetra. Yeah, it looks like a so, fucking. Uh, it looks like Diva's Mech from Overwatch. <laughs> a little bit. So this is the on this site they have the initial rollout version, which is the design used of it in the manga. Uh, extra canonical sources have said that the this mobile suit is what Sema kind of is is given by um, Anaheim. She never she doesn't quite get to use it much, but uh, that's because she doesn't get to do much of anything. But uh, it was this was essentially supposed to be Gundam Unit Four, but then they just kind of did whatever with the frame they had and just kind of slap dashed it together. Oh, so it's like a it's like her Hyakushiki. 
Yeah, it's very. It's essentially Seamus Yakushiki. God, Seamus Seema could have been Zeta. Yeah, she, could, cool she couldn't. She couldn't have like realistically because of the production, the real yeah, world chronology of this show. Earlier. But fucking, oh, still cool as shit. This is this is just a solid design. I like weird Xeon mobile suits. It's very round. It just this thing looks cool. Co murdered her. Uh, we. I'm getting. I'm sorry. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. God damn it! <laughs> so so then we have the new. We have the new AZL, which is the big fuck-off mobile armor Gato gets at the end. I love this thing. Yeah, this thing was cool. This is this is probably one of my favorite mobile armors. It's a really good mobile, because it's like, it's, honestly, it's halfway, it's halfway to a suit. It, it reminds, it's like, it's like a way more intimidating version of the Zeong. Yeah, it's like, what if, it's it's like, what if the, it's like, what if the Sazabi was a mobile armor? Yeah. There's a mobile armor in Char's counterattack that is very similar to it, and I think... Uh, they've said that that was kind of like an upgraded version of this, uh-huh. even though like Charles Counterattack came out like you know three years before this. But prequels, midquels, retcons, retcons. You love uh, to see it. You haven't, you haven't seen. So to bring this up, because I'm going to reference this, I haven't read it yet, but I have read about it. There is a manga that came out relatively recently that finished recently called uh, Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Rebellion. This anime had two directors. Uh, the second one took over around episode seven, and he um, he is, did he wrote it, which is a a, compl- a retelling of Double O Eighty Three, where he changes a lot of small details and adds a lot of details from the other OVAs and stuff. So the main character of MS Igloo actually designed this thing and gives it to Gato in the manga. That's sick as hell. We should. I would love to. Do, I would love to do another episode about this manga. Yeah, I want to do Rebellion, because uh, we're, we're going to get into that. At, not in this episode, but we will in a future episode. Yeah. Down the lane, when we start doing some Gundam mangas. Uh, so ne- next we have the Walla- the Valwalo, which was the uh, mobile armor that Kelly was working on. This thing felt straight out of 0079. I oh, loved yeah. it. Which is great, because it's like... that. Okay, that is the one thing where I feel like I, I appreciated the fact that there's such big Gundam fans, is because it's like, okay, so it's like the... Because the, they they literally say like oh this is specifically a mobile armor from the one year war and so they made sure it looked just just goofy enough to still fit in the OVA but still clearly being like oh yeah the like the RX seventy eight would have fought this thing. Amra would have went why and stabbed it. Uh yeah and and honestly like I feel like part of me I I do like you know you know it would have been cool if. If they would have picked, if they would have picked an actual mobile armor from the show to bring back, like this fucking Zaccarello, yeah, that thing? just like the Zaccarello, so the with the scythe hands, it's so silly. God, um, just just I just or pick pick the goofiest one from like in, from like a random episode that nobody particularly cared about, and then but just then make like, like a badass version of it. Yeah, yeah, that would have been dope. Maybe that maybe there was like a oh they probably fucking got like a. <laughs> fucking Bandai probably said like no we already have a, mo- a model of that make a new one <laughs> so then after that we have you know the original Zaku yeah. as we see here I love the old Kunio Aguara so then we have the Dom Funf <laughs> that's the this sound is a nice big ass feet make when it stomps <laughs> so War in the Pocket started a trend of adding German words after the end of fucking Xeon Mobile Suits like the Gelgoog Jaeger or the Dom Tropen. So it's like Because why be subtle? 
because why be subtle? Uh, the Dom Funf is alright. Doms are cool. It's a nice blocky little... Yeah, then they have the Dom Tropen right here. Which this looks a little... This is the same colors as the original, you know, Dom. These, um... All these, like, late or, like, were manufactured after the One Year War. There's... We have a regular Rick Dom. We have a Rick Dom 2. Lots of Doms in Stardust Ooh, Memory. I like this one a lot. It looks like it oh, looks this like it's actually a carryover from War in the Pocket. This is the same design from War in the Pocket. It looks like a it, it looks like a dumb by way of a Gelgoog. It does. Um, we have the Gelgoog, the Gelgoog Marine. We have Seema's personal Gelgoog. Colored, fucking. I, I guess who knew? I I can't believe the L.A. Lakers are still around in Double O Eighty Three. Fucking and Seema's a fan. She's fucking sat right there next to Robo Jack Nicholson at the front of the fucking court. <laughs> I think John Carpenter is also a Lakers fan. <laughs> I just know he really likes the NBA, and he, he tweets about it a lot, so he just watches basketball and gets high now. I was today years old when I found out that John Carpenter is on Twitter. <laughs> At least I think he's on Twitter. I don't know. I hope I hope not. I hope he's, no I one's on like Twitter. Smart. <laughs> so this is the Draw C. This is a mobile suit from, um, uh, this is a breed, this is a, a carry-off from Zeta. Hmm. Uh, that is used by the Axis Xeon forces. So I like to think that um, Axis is partially involved in this series, which we'll get to, but uh, I like to think that these were given to the Delaz fleet by Axis. Yeah. But these are, as you can tell by its legs, this is like a 100% space use mobile suit, and it looks like it. Like, this uh, thing sure. was designed to never set foot on the Earth. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I appreciate that about it a lot. Long. And then after that, we have the Zamil, and I love this boy. Holy fuck. This big artillery Jeez. mobile suit. Fucking... What episode was this in? <laughs> it's in the early one. It's in, like, episode two or three. Fuck. Because the cannon on the back, like... It, this thing looks like a Metal Gear, honestly. This thing looks like something I fucking fought 12 times in Zone of the Enders while you sat there scared that I wasn't going to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> I, I can't wait to do Zone of the Enders again. <laughs> You're playing it this time. I am. I am better at video games. <laughs> I just remember I was you were watching me play one of the Armored Core games, and I was describing to you the controls, and I could just see the visible pain on your face of imagining controlling something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the Zamel, it's 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 a big artillery mobile suit, and it, it's it looks it, looks it, like it sounds a fucking metal slug boss. It does. There's so yeah, much yeah, going on. So that's the mobile suits of this series. Do you want to move on to the characters? If we must. Okay, let's go in uh, ascending order of importance, starting at the least important. Co. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, let's start with the crew of the Albion and Captain Synapse. Sure. Uh, Captain Synapse is voiced by Chikao Otsuka, who is Akio Otsuka's father, who also voices Big Boss in Metal Gear Solid 4. That's... I Because Solid Snake... Because they had, you know, Solid Snake's voice actor and his father voiced by his actual dad. That's so, I, that's so cute that they're in multiple things together. That's so cute. But he voices... I think... I like Captain Synapse. He he reminds me of, like, if Captain Paolo never died on the white base and Bright never had to take over command. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm but, sure he... Like, he... He's like a quote-unquote good Federation soldier. Yeah, and we will definitely get into get into how loaded of a term that is because there's a lot of that notion going on in this show meta meta narratively, and I I hate to see it. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but uh, well, what I was gonna say is like I I just wanted to, I just wanted to let you know I just wanted to I just wanted to reassure you that just every now and every now and again uh, when I'm in the mood and like have nothing else going on like w- once or twice a year I'll just be like let me just watch the fucking the fucking post credits let me just watch the post credits of Metal Gear Solid Four in Japanese let me just <laughs> I just put that yeah, on it's sometimes. so good. <laughs> It's so good. I don't remember anything else about that game, so half of the stuff he said, I'm like, yeah, but but it's just, God, it's, it's so good. Argh, we should do Metal Gear. We we will, we will. I I love Metal Gear. We'll we'll get into Metal Gear. And the best part of Metal Gear Solid Four is when you actually get to drive a Metal Gear for the only time in the franchise. Mm-hmm. And this and and, awesome. and you know by by the end of the franchise, the the like, the, the Sahel is basically a mech. Yeah, I I have conflicting I have I have opinions about Metal Gear Solid Five that we'll Metal, get to like, in twenty thirty. Yeah. It's a com- it's a complicated work. I I it's I I think it does. But I, well, you know what? It deserves it deserves uh, it's close inspection. It deserves criticism because it deserves a retrospective episode. Yes. Um. Uh. So what do you what do you think of the crew of the uh, of the Albion? I I liked the little glimpses of characterization we got. Like they have about. The same amount of character as like Techno Bento and like Moera from fucking Edeon. or like John Job or Marker Jolliver. Jolliver, <laughs> everyone's favorite member, of, crew member on the solo ship. Oh my god! Oh, they, I don't know. There's a there's a new crew member who's quickly taking his place in my heart, but that's spoilers. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Edeon soon. Don't worry, that's next week. But um, that's next week. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a fun it's it's a fun crew. I, I like I like like I like them. They're fucking. You know what? Cool ma- new jackets, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? Fucking. You know what? That that ending. You know what? Yeah. Hey, that that ending. Honestly, that ending solidif- That ending makes me feel more okay about about liking them because I can now view their whole arc as ultimately a tragedy that they themselves don't even realize is happening to them. Um, yeah, it's 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 really the ending of Double Eighty Three. Actually, is really what made me warm on the show a lot more because I really do like the ending. Um, woof. Uh, but yeah, everyone like like. God, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're fun. They're 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 fun, and I think the problem, like the the problem, is like they're established. The, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been drinking ginger beer through this whole recording. Um, <laughs> they're because I don't feel like going all the way downstairs to get a water. Um, and it's right next to me. So it's it's complicated because all of the character work up front is done during the weaker half of the series that I have to, that I have the most umbrage with. And so... Same. I, I think the best moment we get with the Albion crew is right before Ko kind of throws a temper tantrum and leaves. Um, and when it's all the crew members are kind of on shore leave and they're like kind of drinking and flirting with each other. Y- yeah. I, on I the think, moon. I, 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 I think I... What what is the the more I try to grapple with this live on record, the more I think it's it's more of a personal issue, <laughs> not like real personal. Like it like I I can't directly relate this to anything in my life, but I just mean like I think I have trouble 
grappling with the fact that, like, no, these are just, like, th- these are good people doing their best to, like, have no fucking idea what they're... Get- what Even after the events of Stardust Memory, they have no... They still, fundamentally, have no fucking clue what they've been in and what they are continue to be in. And, like, Devin, that's just how the military works. Yeah. I don't know how intentional that is. I want to say the second director made that more intentional... Or tried that was the intention of the second director. I mean, you know, in in, in t- uh, uh, you know, again, we we talked about this before we started recording, but like intentionality in a text is you know not necessary for for close reading, but so I I, I would say that I would say that my my overall reading uh, my overall reading takes that as an intentionality um, at the very least in I the would... in the in the in the like the 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 death of the author type reading of it it's like no yeah these these are people who these are people who spend literally the entire story never never knowing what they're what they're in um to to uh just to briefly mention the director of the second half of the series is takashi uh is takashi imanishi and i bring him up because interestingly enough he actually directed um the big battle and roots of ambition the votons ovas holy shit he directed Gundam The Origin, went on to direct um, all three of, uh, two of the three double um, MS Igloo OVAs, and uh, also was directed uh, quite a handful of episodes of Lazner, alongside Ryosuke Takahashi, who is a writer for a couple episodes of this series. Nice. Uh, um, I, 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 I legitimately do love this, like family tree of this family tree of 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 names and of names and of creators sunrise, of sunrise directors that were just that were just like we're, we're we're we are we are connecting we are connecting making connections on a big board as we as we do this as we do this season of metro but i i, I like the idea that like completely unintentionally year, <laughs> we pick these shows the mostly at random i i think the weird tone of the series also has to do with the fact that four different people wrote it Yes, and I w- I'm curious to read Rebellion because I want I want to see what a take of this series, but with like a singular from vision. a single from a single vision. Yeah, uh, what that would be. So we'll 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 put a pin in that discussion, I guess, until we get to Rebellion somewhere down the road. Um, but but yeah, overall overall, I like the crew of the Albion. Oh, uh, so then above that we have Mancha and his guys. I don't remember the names of his two buddies, but, like, Mancha himself sucks. He's kind of the worst part of the series to me. Um, I, like, I... Part of me just ha- finds it so hard to believe that, like, a grizzled veteran of the one-year war would be this immature and petty. Yeah, man, like, he... He really beat the odds. <laughs> There's no reason he should be alive. Like, I don't mind that they make him a skirt chaser. I don't mind. Like, they, they just take it to a level where it becomes like, oh, this guy's like a legitimately, legitimately like a sexual predator. Yeah, it, I mean, like, I don't know. Beats, he, he commits a war crime. He's a war criminal. He is a war criminal. I don't know. I found... he, he, he tortured that prisoner. <laughs> yeah, and yet, uh, and yet there were so many other war crimes in this show. Uh, yeah, this is like honestly, Gundam Double Eighty Three is Gundam War Crimes. Lots of war crimes happen in Stardust Memory. Lots of war crimes. Um, I feel like the OVA, the OVAs in general, 
are 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 very much very much revolve around war crimes. Yeah, war crimes well, and, and or of, and or treason. Like I'd say, the more treason on the Xeon side in Eighth MS team with Gideus, you know, just kind of killing his own dudes for no reason, really. Mm-hmm. Or having space craziness. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, and then, like, and then, uh, Shiro, is that a Shiro name? falling in love with Aina. And yeah, and then Shiro just, like, going AWOL. <laughs> and his trial of, like, can you still shoot at the enemy because you, you, you banged a Zeon? Uh, yeah, <laughs> God. Well, what'll it be, Shiro? Loyalty to the Coochie or loyalty to me? <laughs> <laughs> So, from there, going upwards in terms of importance, so I guess we got Mora and Keith. Shiro said Coochie. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you, I know you love Mora. Wife, you're, yes. You're, big big brown wife. I like... Uh, my headcanon is that she... Because she's actually not Anaheim. She's actually Federation. Because mm-hmm. Nina says she came from Jaburo, so I'm like, did she, like... I know she's not technically a pilot, but I love the idea that maybe she just, like, hopped in a GM that she was, like, repairing or, like, yeah. getting ready during the Battle of Jaburo and fucked some shit up. Or at least murdered a Zeon dude with a rock. She, yeah, she, she definitely, she definitely isn't a pilot, but I do think that's by choice. I think, I think if push came to shove, she could probably, she could probably jump in a GM and be fucking fine. Um, she just doesn't want to. She, of course not, no. Um, she's, like, uh... She 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 honestly is like um she reminds me of um what's his fa- I, I I forget his name uh the the getter threes pilot and go oh guy guy yeah like she she is guy she is like the mechanic who has no desire to be a pilot but a hundred percent has the potential uh so what about Keith I, I I actually really came around to liking Keith because Keith is the Kai of this series. Um, and they even gave him a gun cannon, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Keith. Uh, I th- I think Keith is harmless. I I think Keith doesn't do enough to 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 hate like like you can with Kai. Uh, <laughs> Keith, I think Keith's whole thing is that like Keith seems like he's a good friend. He just like because I think his he there's a level of innocence with Keith and Co and Co. Because even though they are Federation pilots, they're not, like, active combat. They're essentially, like, test pilots who just hang out and, like, test the new stuff. Yeah, and and, in a way, in a way, Keith and Co., in some ways, are the only two people in, are the only two, like, Gundam protagonists who have, at least from, from some perspectives, a little bit of wiggle room to be, like, Yo, I I didn't actually sign up for this specific aspect of what we're doing. <laughs> I'm and I think we aren't supposed to be here. We're we're ne- like well look, they're in the Federation still. They're in the military. They're complicit. They're complicit in everything that's happening. I'm not supposed to fucking be a Gundam pilot. I'm not supposed to be in the war <laughs> unless war were declared. The war- yeah, right. Yeah, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, right? Um, I do like one thing in the end. In the ending, I like how they don't show that Keith. They don't show Keith in a Titans uniform because I, I, I like to think that he did that by choice. He went. He probably he went back to testing. He went back. He left the front line. And I'm and I kind of hope that like part of me is like it would be really cool if Keith and Co joined the AU. Yeah. 
Like that'd be I would I would read that fan fiction if about Keith and Co's exploits through the AU. I, I could see. I definitely would love to know. Like honestly, like I I really do want I really do I would love like it doesn't have to be a whole big manga series or whatever it doesn't have to be its own fucking big huge thing but like I would love like a fucking like snippet like a short I would love a short story I would love a piece of microfiction about like each each major character each major character in in the Gundam OVAs and where they were during like the events of whatever major of Gundam series happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Grips Cow or what, whatever happened nearest to them. Because, like, I could totally see, like, Christina joining the Titans and then being, like, disenfranchised with their methods and maybe joining the AU. I could see Al growing up to be, like, a teenage protester. There needs to be, like, a... Like, the, a big the, anti-war advocate. There needs to be There needs to be a, a super robot. There needs to be a super robot AU plotline where you can, like, have all of the... All of the fucking OVA pilots join the AU, and they're just this unstoppable force. <laughs> I think Shiro does is just living in the jungle, banging his hot wife. Uh, God. with their tons of adopted children. Look, if anybody, if if anybody's, if anybody's gonna just like crash land in the middle of the jungle for for one single Gundam pilot and talk him into coming back up to space, it's Quattro fucking Bajina. <laughs> I, I would love that. Please, somebody draw Quattro trying to convince. Just like Shiro it's to like Shira, like like it's, it's like it's like Shiro with his one leg. Yeah, Shiro with his one leg playing with his kid, and he just hears like he just looks up, and it's the the the, the Hyakushiki just like just like ground pounds next to his fucking house, and Quattro jumps out, just like, <laughs> are you Shiro? Whatever your last name is, Shiro Amada. Yeah. Oh no, I want I want Quattro to say what I said. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, God. that's great. So I guess coming up up on that, we have Delaz. Delaz is all right. He he. I I I believe him as somebody who would be Giran Zabi's right hand. Yeah, he fucking had that fucking statue of Giran above his fucking throne, and I was like, this this man, this man sucks. <laughs> like he he very much embodies the kind of like the Zabi, the Giran faction of, Z- of Zeon and everything that's wrong boy. with it yeah like specifically specifically stands the zombies not like the uh, fucking gee, ugh and uh so I guess above that in level of importance we have your wife Seema we have your you we have your evil wife one of, good wife Mora evil wife Seema one of my many evil wives um I mean I like myself a good evil anime lady that's just they're all great it's it's uh, I love Haman as well who makes a small cameo in this yes um one thing I keep but, coming one thing I kept coming back to whenever whenever they would show Seema because I I made sure to save her every fucking moment because in my opinion we don't get enough of her but um um, I like how, I like how old they designed her. Like she is, she is one of the few. I feel just in anime as a anime as a vague cultural medium. Um, I feel like she's one of the few women who actually looks her age. Cause she's not old. old. She's, yeah, she exactly. Was. She's not old, but she's she also doesn't look like she's fucking sixteen. Um. <laughs> 
According to the Gundam Wiki, she's thirty-five. Yeah, and 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 yeah, she fucking looks thirty-five. Most yeah. most anime characters who are thirty. Well, first of all, there's not a lot of anime characters who are thirty-five. Uh, but the ones that let alone do, anime ladies who are thirty-five. The one, yeah, the the ones that are don't look thirty-five. <laughs> For the most part, um, she she because like it's the lighting. It's it's the way that they, they she's always lit so particular, and it always emphasizes. The, it always emphasizes all of the peaks and valleys in her face, and so it emphasizes it emphasizes where she, she doesn't have visible, ra- like, there's no line art, there's no, like, black lines, there's no pencil lines of her, like, wrinkles or crow's feet, but when the light hits her in a certain way, you can see the suggestion that, like, she is aging, and, she, and, and I think that's just, like, that helps thematically and tonally she's just like no matter how confident she looks she also always looks stressed and tired i also think because that ties in with her backstory we don't really get much of her backstory if any in the series it come there's a small snippet of a radio drama that was sort of animated called the mayfly of space yeah i i, I watched it and i didn't there's not enough narrative there to really glean a whole lot it just from what I've gained, it from what I've gleaned, apparently, remember in Origin, like there was the one week war that preceded the one year war where Zeon just completely invaded side two. Yeah. And uh, during and just committed an, an, a, a millions of atrocities. I think what happened was that Sima um, was her her you know squad of people were sent to. This is all taken from like the wiki and other shit I've read, where her unit was sent to go, you know, seize a colony, and they were given orders to do, like, certain things. Like, to essentially, like, they ended up unwittingly gassing a colony. Like, that was secretly their orders that they weren't even aware of. Yikes. So then, um, af- and then Zeon kind of treated them as pariahs, kind of being like, oh, you, they were a rogue element. We didn't order them to do that. Kind of throwing them under the bus. Christ. And then when Girin built his giant super weapon that he used to kill his dad... Apparently, that was built out of her home colony. Fuck. So, her home was completely gone, and then what happened then is because of her reputation, when all the Ze- when all the Zeon survivors fucked off to Axis, after the Battle of Solomon, and then, and then later after the Battle of um, Alboaku, uh, they just were, CMO was like, can I come? And they're like, no, you're a war criminal, get out of here. You gassed civilians. So then her and her crew just kind of got stranded with the few ships they had and the Gelgoogs they had and just became a ton of fucked up Xeon pirates that just kind of cruised around the Earth sphere, probably attacking merchant ships or, like, Federation ships and seizing their weapons. <sighs> she... She deserves so much more. So that that's that's the extent of her backstory that we get, but like I it, it, with that knowledge, but a but little another thing that's apparently uh, if you remember in Eighth MS Team, Shiro has a flashback to being in a colony that's entirely gassed, watching everybody die around him, mm-hmm. and he's only alive because he's in like a Federation like pilot suit. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that was the colony that Sima gassed. Well, damn. So that's a little connection between Eighth MS Team and uh, Stardust Memory. But I do like Seema. I wish she had played a bigger role in this, and I'm hoping she does in Rebellion. In that take of uh, of the events of Stardust Memory, Seema is probably the most interesting character. Definitely, like she, she she has such a presence. She has such she has such an aura. 
Just she's just the, leaning. It helps that she sits on a on a giant fucking like white tiger pelt. She, she yeah, her her like captain's chair is like a reclining like a fainting couch with like a like a white tiger pelt draped over, and she's she's just fan fanning herself like she's Cleo fucking Patra. Um, damn, real good, real good. Uh, so I guess above that we got Gato, voiced by Akio Otsuka. Solid Snake. Also, Bato in uh, Ghost in the Shell. Oh. Good. And tons of other stuff I just can't remember off the top of my head. What do you think of Gato? Because I, I like Gato. I, I like him as, like, he has a really cool, like, uh, title, The Nightmare of Solomon. He is interesting. Uh, he, I think you made the joke well, that you made a joke that really well summarized Gato, which is he's Char if Char bought into the system. Yeah, he's like, he is... If DJ didn't suck. Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he is, he is a, he is a, he is a samurai in the way that the buff clan like, pretends that they are. Um, which is a funny Gato thing. Gato is how DJ views himself. Yeah, Ga yeah, DJ definitely thinks he's Gato. Um, and it's, I I think in a lot of ways Gato is Gato is a lot like the Albion crew in that y y you y you root for him y you root for him in a lot of ways he he is a sympathetic person but also he fundamentally he fundamentally does not know he knows he knows better than the crew of the Albion but even still I think at the end of the day he, I mean, like he. I I I don't know. He yeah yeah you're right. He he doesn't. He just bought into Garen's shit. That's yeah, the biggest he, problem with Gato is that I we don't really even get to know Gato as well as I'd like to. I'd like to know more about Gato's life. What me. Does he just firmly believe in space noid rights? Does he yeah. feel that like, I think this is like yeah, did he, he grow up abused by the Federation? Like I want more probably, context in him. Um like like so like yeah, that's the thing. Like like I see like I see where Gato comes from. Like I get like I get it. Like homie, like I a lot of a lot of fucked up shit happened in that OVA where I was like, man, this is rough. The thing that I did ask was like, no, yeah, I'm glad that happened was when he fucking they find out well first of all one they find out like episode one like oh hey fucking the federation made made a gundam that can launch a nuclear fucking warhead post-war all right that all that broke the that broke the antarctic treaty yeah and got that to, they rode. and and so and so like Z, like zeon with like axis was just like mm, ours now uh and well, not access the Delos fleet, right? The Delos fleet, yeah. the Delos fleet was just like uh, yoink, and then fucking one of one of the major phases of Operation Stardust was Gato taking that nuclear warhead gun, like taking this Metal Gear Gundam, pointing it at a fl a, a fleet of Federation ships, and the, using it on them. the entire Federation fleet, the entire Federation fleet at 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 Abaku. That's probably the best moment in this series. Like Solomon, I have returned. Yeah. Like that's that's Gato's crowning moment. And in the you know series. what? Like I was there. I was. I I I I stand. Good. Yeah. Exactly. No. Fucking take that mother. Because like you know, none. Hey, none of those were civilian ships. 
Fucking every single yeah, one of those mother- all- every single one of those motherfuckers on that boat. Honestly, even if the even if the Albion was there, even if the Albion got hit and it was like show's over, I'd be like, you know what? F- fucking fucking fair, fair. Since your government and the military organization that you belong to. Fucking Gato said Gato said you like nuclear warheads so much. Here, have it, have it back. He gave it back to them. What a nice guy. Do you want to know a, f- to know a funny canon anecdote? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a there. The first sequel to Crossbone Gundam is called Skullheart, <laughs> and it's a collection of short stories. Yeah. One of the members of the Crossbone Vanguard is a uh, he's an old guy and he's a, one of the pilots, but he's a one year war veteran who is a Fetty, and his claim to fame was that during the Battle of Aboaku he was a ball pilot. But in order to just uh, just because you know he's a wacky character, he customized his ball to look like a to look like the Gundam uh, the, like the head of the, of the Gundam and so his the weird presence of his Gundam ball that would like appear around like that would hover over like asteroids and then people would be like oh my god the Gundam is here <laughs> apparently because it was causing so much confusion at the Battle of Solomon for like people sa- stating that this, this Gundam was in two places at once Gato took his specifically Gato was like oh it's on that it's at that it's on the east side of fucking Solomon and took a ton of his Gelgoogs and went that way and that's apparently why the Federation that's what the, apparently why the Federation won the Battle of, of Solomon I love it that's extremely good <laughs> it, um, I, I, I'm sure you remember the Battle of Solomon that's where Big Zam was that, yeah no that was that was Big Zam's big day so that means that Gato and that means that Delaz and Gato actually, even though Del Delaz seem to be like homies with Garen, they, that means they serve directly under Dazzle. Dazzle, look, Dazzle, Dazzle picks good soldiers. Yeah, Dazzle knew how to pick good soldiers. Dazzle picked. Look, da- get- Dazzle, Dazzle picked. Dazzle picked. Fucking Dazzle picked the Red Comet and the Nightmare of Solomon. And the Blue Giant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did he also pick that one guy whose entire claim to fame was everybody mistaking him for Char? Oh, Johnny Ryden? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. And Shin Matsunaga. They're the two, like, uh, gun. The, the, their stories told through, like, uh, ex- other mangas and, like, were big and, like, they, they had, like, short stories about them in, like, the instruction manuals of model kits. Huh, that's fun. Johnny um, Ryden and Shin Matsunaga, the White Wolf and the Red Lightning. But so, like, my my whole thing is the the question i want to propose to you because i want to try and work i want to try and work out an au scenario with you because i don't know where i sit i don't know where i would where i would expect slash want things to go um so here's the here's the here's the branch in the timeline uh gato lives okay gato lives gato lives he he runs back to to whatever's left of of Zeon and whatever they're gearing up to so do. You, so if, if we go by this, because all the survivors of the Delaz fleet, what little there was, all went went with the Axis fleet yes. back to Axis. Yes. And so so from from according to Char's deleted affair, I think around double o eighty five is when Char leaves Axis, becomes Quattro, and decides to um, go back to Earth. Mm-hmm. My, so, so you're asking me, does Gato join the AU? Yes, I'm saying, is Gato? Does Gato stay? Does Gato serve under Hamon, or does Ga, or, or does does he stick with after everything that's happened to him? Does he? Is he still like Nah, man? Zion's the way to go, or is he? I know exactly what's going to happen. Yes, please tell me. I think Gato would go to AU with Char. He would go would go to Earth with Char, part of the AU. 
but I think he would be given secret instructions by Haman that, like, when Axis makes their presence known, he sides with them because he's reporting back to Axis about stuff in the Aegis. Oh, he's a double agent. And then Char kills him at some point in, like, a dramatic battle towards the end of Zeta. Oh, yeah, because Char... Because that was my first thought is, like, like fucking... Like, like day one. Day one. Gato comes to him and is like, I want to join the AU. And Char in the back of his head is like, oh, okay, you're a double agent. I got this. Like, <laughs> like Yeah, I would think Char zero. wouldn't... I, I just think, but also though, I think Gato would make a really good double agent because Gato's also very throws him seems to throw himself one hundred percent into everything he does. Oh yeah, and so I, I think that like I think at one point like Gato would like take a bullet for Char. Oh yeah, no, because I think I think Gato's whole thing would be like he doesn't want to kill Char. He wants Char to come back to Axis. Right. So he would be like so, but that Char would interpret that as him being loyal to the Aug over Haman. Yes. Um, or at the very least, then, or, or at the very least, I don't need to worry about Gato until the pivotal moment. I th- I I think though, if Gato survived all the way to like 0093, he's definitely part of Char's uh, Char's Zeon. Oh oh yeah sure. He's 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 he is sitting like he is sitting on top of Axis like the guy on the bombs in fucking uh, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Oh, because how long? What at at what point? Or or is it already? Would it already be known or presumed? Um, at, at at what point does does Gato figure out that uh, Char Char is uh, the son of the son of uh, Daikun, the son of Zeon? That's a good question. Because oh my god, what if that? Because if this was a Super Robot Wars game, there would be like criteria you could get to like prevent his death. Yeah. So, like, if this was a, a Super Robot Wars game, I feel like if you mobilize... Ch- if Char has a certain amount of kills before this level, mm-hmm. or Char is a certain level before this level, you can then... If you get Gato down to less than 30% health and have Char talk to him, you can get him on your team, and you'll have, like, the fucking huge mobile armor for the rest of the game. Hell yeah. This is... And and <laughs> I... I re- God. We, th- that's gotta be that's gotta be our Super Robot Wars movie that we're writing on the side the, the series we're making that, the fanfic yes of just like what if of like what if we made the AU even better so what do you think about Ko he's a weenie Ko's a weenie I liked him a lot more toward the end but I wish his development was a lot more gradual cause I I, I, I think you could probably make a four minute video of every time he just storms off and runs away um yeah, I think. Oh, oh, ooh, ooh! Hot take. Uh, Ko is Ko is what a lot of people assume Shinji is. Yes, except Shin Ko has a lot of talent in the way that like Shinji kind of doesn't. Yes, where like sh- like Ko legitimately has an interest in technology and mobile suits and piloting, whereas Shinji does it. Because that's what he's told. Yeah, Shinji's like, well, maybe, maybe my dad will care about me if I do this. <laughs> Whereas Ko has Ko, like, I feel like, I feel like Ko and Amuro would be friends, kind of. Yeah. Um. Ko, Ko and Amuro are on the same forums. Jesus. Um. I, I do think that it, that is one. Th- that that's one's like as, as much as I hammer on this show for like as much as I as much as I on a on a visceral personal political level don't enjoy it when, when when Ko and Nina like love how much love how cool the war machine that they're building and testing is. 
I I do think that that is when Ko is at his best and is his most genuine. Like I that because I think this show takes the mobile suits as fighter jets very literally. Because I feel that like if the if you take it as like Ko is a is somebody who really really loves aviation yes. and joined the Air Force so that he could learn to fly really well and sure. look at the coolest and best planes that exist. Yes, I will also say, but, <laughs> if if this show was about fighter jets, my opinion of them as war machines would not change. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm just saying though, but like, but like, in no, terms of it. like the. Planes have more. Op- you can recreationally fly a plane, and I know there's, there there is like re- recreational mobile suit piloting is a thing. Is it? In late Universal Century, yeah. Weird. But like, I it's, I, I just think they're ta- like I know I know people who growing up who just absolutely love aviation. Oh, of course, yeah, no, 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 uh, yeah, I get it. Like, and but like, but like I said, like that's I I wish, if. Like, honestly, like, I forgot, like, after episode one, I completely forgot that their whole background was that they were test pilots. Like, you had to remind me of that. And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that is why they're there at all. Um, like... Oh, we forgot about burning. We'll talk about him when we get to the show. Yeah. Um, but, but, so, I, I, I do wish, I, I do wish that, that, uh, cause, cause it wouldn't have even necessarily detracted from it. Like, I, like, I wish that, like, that I, I wish there was more focus put on 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 Ko's interest in 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 like the in in mechanics and machines and, and, and the Gundam and stuff because like that's still tied into his romance with Nina like you, you don't have to you don't have to undo any of that you don't have to undo any of that focus to make it still be a romance because that was the only time the romance fucking compelled me the any other time the romance came up it was a shit show um, oh yeah. But like, but that's it's the weakest part of the show. It's the weakest Kinda part like of the show. Eighth like it's I I always I always I always say that about stuff with such trepidation because like you know the when I was younger and I'm sure you were also of this mindset like basically the the common the cold take the common uh, understanding was oh this show has romance in it bad romance is bad. Like, don't put romance in a show unless unless that's what it's... There. Like, if that's what you like, then fine. But, like, don't put it in stuff. And it's like, no. Like, fucking... There were moments where they were... Like, there were moments where Ko and Nina were cute. The, like, fucking... They work. Like, they work. They work on paper. This show just, like, paced it really awkwardly. And it, and it, and it did too much shit that just didn't work. Once again, I attribute this to the two directors and four writers. Yeah, well, honestly, like by the time that by the time the second director came on, that that motherfucker just didn't care at all about the romance. <laughs> he he really didn't. And yet, and yet, it was his episodes that introduced the love triangle. <laughs> yeah, that I I if I was writing this, I would do away with that because that immediately sours me on Nina a lot more because I'm like kind of what? <laughs> I guess I guess they really just needed Nina to do something. They really needed something for Nina yeah. to do, and that was the only thing they could think of. I, I can see that. I definitely can see being backed up into that wall. I wonder how they handle that, that rebellion. We'll find out. I wonder how they handle that rebellion. We'll find out. So, do you want to go straight into the show? Yes.
All right, so now we're, we're actually into the show show. Where it's... it's th So we, we start at the Battle of Aboaku. Um, we, we, unfor after so we unfortunately don't see Big Zam. Well, about, that, that was Solomon. Oh, fuck. So it's funny because we started Aboaku... But Solomon was the second, was the penultimate, bat, like, big battle of the One Year War. A large chunk of the Federation fleet was, essentially, uh, Big Zam died there, Dazzle died. Um, many, the Federation had a big, costly victory. Um, Minerva is swept away. Miner Minerva is, Minerva, yeah. Minerva is, and her mother are placed on a ship with a ton of other, like, Xeon nobility, to go to Axis, mm -hmm. they leave to go to Axis. Days late after that, Char Lala dies in between the battles. Char and Amuro have their fight. Um, I thought you were gonna say and Char then, and Amuro kill her. <laughs> Char, well, yeah, Amuro technically kills her. Okay, Char. Uh, Amuro. <laughs> I mean, technically, Amuro's the one who literally stabbed a beam saber into the Elmith. <laughs> yeah, fair. But like, <laughs> but uh, no, you so then Alboa... no, you killed Lala. No, you killed Lala. So the so the Al Alboa coup was the final uh, base before you get to side three. Before the Federation could literally just start bl blasting Zeon colonies out of the sky, out of space. Mm -hmm. Um, that the Alboa coup was the big battle, and the thing why Alboa coup was so important was because, like General Revel, w um. Essentially, Girin built his super weapon, the solar ray cannon, where and he because because uh, Degwin is all like, my son is out of control. I'm going to meet with General Revel, and I'm going to negotiate an end to this war. And Girin's like, no, you're not. And then blasted his dad and a good chunk of, and like a bunch of his own people, and you know, a ton of Federation guys killing General Revel and, um. It, like the leader, the whole, the, the head of the Federation and the head of Zeon die simultaneously. Even though by then Degwin was mostly a puppet leader. Yeah. And so at that point, it was either like either side could have won. If if Zeon repelled the Federation, there was nothing stopping Zeon from going back to invade Earth again after they built up their forces. Because that's how banged up the Federation's attack fleet was, and how desperate that and that's all Zeon had left. Like MS Igloo shows that like half of the Zaku pilots at that point were probably teenagers and children. Mm-hmm. Because that's all that Zeon had left. Much like the Federation. <laughs> much, much like the Federation. Pretty much, like, most adults died during the One Year War. Like, an entire generation died. That's so fucked so fuck up that, like, all of, the pe all of the people that caused the... Like, most of the people that caused, like, like, either caused or were contemporaries of those who caused the war, like, died, and then, like, there's fucking and then their children just kept fighting yeah it's tragic so we started Alboaku. i wanted just that little history catch up for the one year war yeah, i also wanted to say since we brought up since we brought up Degwin that uh in that in that in that 1980s gundam movie that never got made uh they sh i want to go back in time and have it get made and then uh i want marlon brando to play Degwin. who plays garen um in the 80 oh oh shit that could be a whole other podcast of just fan, fan yeah, we have casting. Yeah, of just us fan casting, fan casting the one the, fun fact. Yeah. The Universal Century. Yeah, I, I'd do that. That'd be a fun episode. Nicholas Cage. We get Arcade needs, on that or Nick, something. Yeah, Nicholas Cage needs to be someone. 
Nicholas Cage is, Do- is Dazzle Zombie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Dazzle Zombie. Yeah. <laughs> he sits there on top of the on top of the big Zam with a big machine gun. Come on, kill me! <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Why devil kill me? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Amaro is Michael J. Fox. Shit. Shit. That's the right answer. <laughs> Devin. God damn it. <laughs> We, we'll we'll be here for another six hours yeah, we, if we keep on that track. God. I'll fucking record. I, I, I'll I, fucking I record that. I'll, I'll record that episode right after this one. Fuck it. <laughs> so, um, we started the Battle of Aboaku. Uh, Gato crashes his Gelgoog kind of into the hangar, and he's all like, ah, "Shit's fucked out there. We need to. I need to refuel." And Delaz is all like, holy shit, Garen just died. I mean, then he says, like, ah, it was probably Cassilia that killed him. Because he, like, because Cassilia orders uh, the guy to say that Garen died bra- bravely in battle. Mm-hmm. And then Delaz immediately is like, Cassilia fucking killed him. Like, goddammit, Cassilia. <laughs> He's, so, Delaz, uh, Delaz is one of the top, Delaz is an admin on that Zabi family Reddit we came up with. Yes. So Delaz is all like, Garen's dead, and so I got us like, well, I'm gonna go out there and die fighting the Federation. I'm gonna if I'm if we're all gonna lose here, I don't want to like, I'm not gonna go on go into Axis and just sit there in exile. Fuck that. I'm gonna go and Delos is like, you. I'm gonna go. You, you fucking are. He's like, yeah, but like, don't die now. Let's die more, much more spectacularly three years from now. And God, I was like, all right. Then we cut to three years from now. Mm-hmm. So. um... In between then, Delaz had... Essentially, I'd say a lot of the people under his command abandoned uh, Alboaku po- and didn't go to Axis. They just kind of fucked around the Earth the Earth sphere. Uh, hung out probably on the fringes, acting mostly as pirates, kind of like Seema's dudes. Mm-hmm. Or, we'll say. Yeah, or, Seema, or just Seema's like... dudes having the tattered, the tattered Xeon uniforms and the ripped-off sleeves all looking like fucking thugs. I love those guys. God, they're so fucking cool. Um... I want those guys to beat me up and take my lunch money. Uh, yeah, yeah, Seema can do that every day. Um, but yeah, like, they either do that, or they, like, they they bum around, like, fucking, what's-his-face in the junkyard. Like, 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 Kelly Laisner. Yeah, Kelly, like, Named after the anime Laisner. (laughs) God. (laughs) Um. So... At that point, we, uh, we cut back to Earth, where it is 0083, autumn 0083, so late, late in the year. Uh, we are in the middle of kind of the Australian outback of a, um, remote base, where, um, they're testing out the new, the new GM-powered, like, new, new GMs, and, uh, Ko and Keith are irritated they have to use old-ass Zakus. <laughs> Uh, to compete, and they're all using like paintball rounds and stuff like that. They're uh, all under the command of a guy named South Burning, a uh, grizzled one-year war veteran. He's he's he reminds he's kind of the even though Synapse is the captain, he's more the bright of this show. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like as I I honestly like got them confused sometimes. <laughs> um, they're both just old men. Synapse and uh, Synapse mostly interacts with Burning. Yeah, that's that. You know what? That that's why I didn't get them confused. Like, but I remember like after the episode, after the like after after uh, Burning's after Burning's last episode. Like, I remember I watched the next one and I was like, "Wait, he died? Oh, that's Synapse." <laughs> <laughs> so they're good friends. I uh, like their dynamic. 
So a, uh, a modified Pegasus-class ship shows up, a Pegasus-class being what the White Base was, the White Base being the first Pegasus-class ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, a late stage one called the Albion shows up over a gigan- the gigantic crater that was Sydney, <laughs> which is now just a lake. Like, isn't, didn't you say you really like that in the first episode where they're like, are we over, like, uh, we'll be over Australia soon. We are over Australia. That, yeah, no, that's, that's one of my, that's one of my favorite moments in Gundam period. Yeah. Just good world building that, like, that's just the, the scarred wreck it remain. That's just a, a permanent scar of the one year war upon the earth. Mm-hmm. And one of many. And so, uh. The Albion is carrying the Gundam Unit One, the Zephranthes and the Fis- and the Faisalis, uh, to be tested by by this team. And so, Ko and Keith are like, "Let's go check out the new the new stuff on that on that you know white base looking ship." So they drive over, and uh, they're kind of yelled at by Nina, who's all like, "You can't just you can't be in here. Like this is top secret. Get the fuck out of here." And Keith's like, "You're hot. I'm gonna hit on you." <laughs> And Ko is kind of just, like, Ko is, instead of being what... Keith is like, wow, pretty girl, and Ko is like, wow, cool robot. <laughs> like, Keith is like, don't you want to look at the hot lady? And Ko is like, shut up, I'm looking at the Gundam. Um. Uh, meanwhile, uh, some, Z- some Zeon dudes are hanging out in the outback, and uh, one of them smuggles in Gato in a Fetty uniform, who is an Anaheim um, employee. The true villains of the one year of the Gundam universe are probably Anaheim Electronics. Pretty fucking much. The military industrial complex is the main villain of Gundam. Yeah. And then it also makes you complacent in it by buying model kits. <laughs> so the, Oh my god, Devin, are 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 Gundam model kits canon in the Universal Century and they are they are distribu- they are produced and developed by <laughs> by fucking Anaheim? <laughs> I mean, fighter jet models and tank models do exist. God. In real life, so I'm 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 sure Gunpla exists in. Appar- actually, in Gundam Sentinel, apparently there's there's a scene where a kid has like a toy of the RX-78. So I I'd like to think that that's probably something real. Yeah, it would be, huh? Fucked. So Gato is kind of like easily smuggled, and he's like, "Holy shit, that was easy!" And they're like. He's like, why is there such lack security? And he's just like, it's all over. It's like that everywhere in the Federation these days. Because the Fed- the Federation are, if anything, completely arrogant. Mm-hmm. They are as arrogant as they are incompetent. So, uh, pretty much immediately, Gato shows up. And they're like, hey, you can't be in here. And he's like, I just, I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna steal this big chunky boy. So Gato quite... Pretty very quickly and easily steals the uh, the the Faisalis and announces that like pretty much like hey by the way Zigzion I'm I'm out. <laughs> Ko defies orders and hops into the Zephranthes, but easily is beaten by Gato. And Ko is very very upset by this. Gato fucks off to immediately the Albion is like we need to go and we need to retrieve that Gundam like now. So the next episode um, has a large skirmish that kills one of Ko's friends, a guy named Dick Allen, which uh, stays with Ko for the first couple episodes. That kind of stings him that his his buddy dies. So um, in the first bout of conflict, they manage to um, prevent 
Gato from escaping into space, but they fail to retrieve the Gundam. So Gato then holds up with some guys who've been on Earth since the One Year War. And uh, one thing that Double Zeta shows is that um, by 0088, there are still Zeon dudes holding out with One Year War mobile suits in the deserts of Africa. Oh. And they are still there in Unicorn. Oh. So by 0096, those guys are still there. So there's just, like, Zeon entrenched, like, Zeon bases, like, guerrilla, fighting guerrilla-style operations all over Earth. And which are, you know... They're just, they're just basically causing problems on purpose? Yeah, just any way that we can destabilize the Federation and hopefully, like, it, just like the Dawes fleet being, like... Maybe someday. I think that's what Operation Stardust was supposed to do, is because in... Other stuff. I know this was produced earlier, but like it makes sense in the co- in the whole context of things that have been canon since that like if you look at Thunderbolt manga that happens after like after the One Year War, if you look at 0081 Battlefield Record and a lot of the other video games, it's all about like just Zeon insurgents. I so guess, I think yeah. Delaz was attempting to unite all of those and try to strike a fatal blow at the Federation. Delaz, Delaz like these was dudes were sitting. Delaz was trying to be the fucking, the fucking Grand Admiral Thrawn of Zeon. That's essentially what he was trying to do. Hmm. That that yes, you put it perfectly. Yes, I could not have said it better myself. Jesus, I'm I'm mad at myself. I didn't think of that. <laughs> so um, after this, they get a couple reinforcements. Which are Mancha and his buddies, who apparently Burning knew from the one where they were like his squad mates in the One Year War. Uh, Bur- Mancha is very mad that Ko has been officially assigned as the pilot of the uh, Zephranthes. And what follows is the plot coming to like a grinding halt as Mancha and Ko need to have like a slap fight it's, in order to see who gets to pilot the gun. It's just the most. Like seventies sitcom ass, like macho heterosexual. None of this actually matters. Just clownery. The clownery. And, like, and I'm I'm glad that Burning is as mad about it as he is. Yeah. Because Burning's like, you guys are wasting your fucking time. The Zeon just stole a nuclear equipped Gundam, and you're fucking around like this. <sighs> Like, I don't blame Ko for getting sucked into it, because Ko is dumb and 19 years old. Yeah, Ko, Ko's, yeah, Ko, Ko's like a 19, Ko's a 19-year-old test pilot who most likely, like, most likely joined the military fresh after the one-year war. Um, yeah, like, I'm, like, yeah. Ko has probably never seen active combat. He's just, and probably yeah, didn't, and probably didn't expect enough. to, probably didn't intend to. Like, he, cause, cause, you know what's like what's the first thing so many people think after a war when they know nothing about war i'm just like oh the war's over hooray like that means everything's gonna be fine forever um like fucking basically like basically like like america for the entirety of like post-world war ii even though we just never stopped being at war on one level or another but you know, like fucking, like, the, which is something that Votoms does very well at portraying. Yeah, the war is over. Welcome to the war. Yeah, the war's over. Welcome to the war. Um, b- 
but you know, the, the, and I guess this is probably indicative of the of the time that this was produced in the like in terms of the real world when they when it was made of just like this very Top Gun esque of just like oh well you know like we're there's like conflicts still but we're not at war anymore now we're just like now we're just defending the peace that we've won, um, which is just like horseshit. The, the plot of this, the plot of 0083 feels a lot like a Tom Clancy novel. <laughs> yeah. Like, in terms of, like, this isn't a war, but this is, like, a weird political military clusterfuck, and here's the people that all have to deal with it. We're trying to stop a new war from happening. A fucking... And it's like, no, this is just the same war. (laughs) So, um... After they get their shit together, they manage to, uh... They they track Gatto, but they... Once again, he manages to launch into space, but they manage to, you know, eliminate this, this pocket of Xeon insurgents in... In, uh, in in Australia, who've been probably been stuck there for three years, just chilling. So just vibing. Uh, the Albion is under the direct command of Admiral Cohen, who is the only member of the Federation to like give a shit <laughs> about this. So Admiral Cohen is all like, "Listen, Al-, and the Albion's like, well, he went into space. We need reinforcements, and they're like, you're not going to get any. We sent you three dudes. Isn't that enough?" And He's like, and Cohen's like, I tried to get you help, but that's all we got because the Federation doesn't want to, A, admit that we got a Gundam stolen. B, doesn't want to admit that we built these Gundams because they're technically classified. Mm-hmm. C, doesn't want to admit that one of them is nuclear equipped. And D, doesn't want to acknowledge that Xeon would be any kind of threat to the Federation. Which is then when we start getting it, so then when we go into space in the fourth episode is where we start getting into the fuckery of this, where there's a lot of factions here. So first we have the Federation as a whole, as our first faction. Stinky. We then have the weird part of the Federation that will become the Titans, like Yamatov and Basque. Yeah. And all and a couple other guys with their own weird machinations of, like... So we have uh, machinations of how they can spin this in their favor. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Albion, who are trying to do the right thing of retrieving this danger, of preventing the deaths of tons of people. Yeah. Is mostly what the Albion's trying to do. Yeah. So then we then have the Delaz fleet, who are trying to, you know, commence Operation Stardust. We have the Republic of Zeon, that's, that is never shown, but the Republic of Zeon being, you know, the, the small government that was allowed to stay somewhat autonomous after the one-year war. And I'm sure they're shitting themselves at what the repercussions of the Delaz fleet's actions are going to be for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Axis that are sitting there kind of waiting for things to unfold. Yeah, um, like... And then we have... S- there's, there's that shot, there's that one shot of Haman literally just, literally just being like, how much longer? Like, she's just like... <laughs> like, Zeta Gundam when... Zeta Gundam three years from now. When's Marvel? <laughs> yeah, Haman's just sitting there waiting to be relevant. <laughs> so then, uh, and then we have the SEMA fleet, which is where SEMA shows up in the fourth episode, where they're on their way to the moon, and they get attacked by uh, this whacked-out group of dudes in Gel- with Gelgoogs, and Ko ends up getting really overconfident and... Um, I think in, a, in an attempt to, to like... Because Monshe keeps busting his balls and Ko, like, takes everything personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't blame him. I would, too, and Monshe's a huge dick. But, like, um... Ko takes the Zephranthes out into space, but it's, like, it barely can function and Ko just gets memed on. 
Like, the Zephranthes just gets totaled. Yeah. To which then... Fuck them is, So then we get into episode five. Where this is when the show really starts picking up. Like, the first two episodes are good, but episode three and four suck, in my opinion. But the show picks up, starts picking up around here, where um, they're on the moon, and uh, they get back. Nina is um, introduced to her um, Anaheim friends. who are, And apparently everybody that works for Anaheim is also a supermodel. Y- yeah, it's just like uh, everybody, everybody... I mean, like, I, I think this is actually like... This has some like, some like his like real historical precedent because I I feel like a lot of like, a lot of jobs of this nature like anytime there's like there's anytime there's sort of like, behind the scenes like coding or like computer work and shit like that like pro, like a lot of early like, programmers and things like that in like various industries like were women but nobody ever talked about it because why would anybody congratulate women for fucking not just being moms, you know, that horse shit. Yeah. Um and like so that that's that 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 was a fun bit. Uh at I I will say that's probably the most female characters that have ever been in one fucking spot in a Gundam series. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Oh wait, I forgot point... about wife guy in Iron Blooded Orphans. Oh yeah, the guy with his like harem. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta finish Iron Blooded Orphans. Same. I, I am pro Mikazuki. So are multiple women. <laughs> so it, uh, at this point, we see not only is Seema making her presence known at the uh, to Anaheim, where she's like wheeling and dealing with the Anaheim guys, like, hey, maybe you should stop helping the Albion and give us some cool mobile suits. And they're like, yeah, sure, why not? Money's money. Mm-hmm. I don't care how bloodstained it is or what the repercussions of our actions are, because we start a war. Hey, we're funding both sides. Everybody wins. Whoever and wins, we make a profit. Everybody. It's just, it's like that. It's like Alien versus Predator. Whoever wins, we lose. Whoever wins, we profit. Yeah. Anaheim Electronics are the biggest fucking warmongers. <laughs> like, that's my favorite thing about it, and I think Tomino wrote that intentionally, because they're also, because, like, they're they're funding the AUG, but also they're building everything for the Titans, too. God. Yeah. Fuck Anaheim, dude! Fuck, if, if, fuck the military-industrial complex. War, so, war is bad. War is very bad. Uh, so then, everybody's kind of waiting for the Albion to get repaired and the Zephranthes to get upgraded into the Fulvernian. So Ko, over, Ko's, everyone's drinking and having a good time, and, like, Ko is sitting there, like, 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 fucking scowling at a glass of whiskey. <laughs> And Keith is wasted and shows up and says, Keith, like, go, drink, have a fun, have fun. And Keith, like, Ko takes, like, the smallest sip and Keith is like, yeah, you're having fun. And, like, goes off to go flirt or something. Yeah. And Ko just overhears Mancha being a massive asshole and he just storms off. Yeah, he's basically just and like, Ko he's just, basically just like, yeah, fucking, that's some fucking kid piled the gun and we totally fucking wrecked it. I was, I, I did really a good job, though. I killed a bunch of fucking Zeeks and I had the biggest penis. Uh. 
And if he was and any dr- if he was any drunker, he probably would have said exactly that. If he was any drunker, yeah. So at, at that exact moment, Ko decides fuck this and runs off, and has like a really bad drunken stroll throughout the streets of Von Braun. He just had, this. This is another. You know what? This is another moment that would. This is another another like good like. Ko is just a, a very different version of Shinji moment because he basically just like has a bad time piloting his mech. No one, everybody blames him for it, and then he storms off. And he storms off and runs away and has an anxiety attack alone. And then gets the shit beaten out of him by three guy by three probably ex Zeon guys. Yeah. Because it's like you are wearing a Federation uniform in space. <laughs> yeah, and he does. He he really does just like shoulder check some motherfucker, just like doesn't care, and it's just like, ugh, yeah, no, that's real. So Ko gets his ass kicked, and he's met by a one-armed man with a huge chin named Kelly Lazner, who brings him to his junkyard home in Von Braun, mm-hmm. and is like. I'll make you dinner, and he's like, he re- he recognizes the uniform, and he's just like, you're a soldier, right? And he's like, Ko is like, uh, 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 uh. he's like, no, talk to me like a man. And Ko is like, yeah, yeah, I- I'm a soldier. So they have like a discussion of like, you know, b- pilots, and Ko quickly finds out that Kelly is all was a mobile suit pilot in the one year war. Um, yeah, he he basically is like, uh. Kelly is already presuming that, like, Ko is AWOL. He's like, why'd you, like, so you're a deserter? And Ko's like, I, Ko's like, I've, I really put, Ko admits, like, I put no thought into the consequences of my actions. I might be? I'm only just now realizing what the repercussions (laughs) of what I might be doing, because I'm sobering up right now. (laughs) Just like, I don't know, bruh. Um, and, you know, it's, he he's like he's like well you sh-. he basically is like are you a deserter like I don't know and he's like well you should um and then cause like I he's like, well I if can't. you're gonna be like this resign immediately before they fucking court martial you and put you in front of a firing squad yeah um and then Ko's just like I can't just leave and and honestly I do wonder because he he never explicitly states his reasons why but I do wonder how much of it is like. Uh, a personal responsibility for like what happened or just like wanting to pilot the Gundam or feeling like he's the only one who can do this or wanting to stay with Nina I think I think the whole metaphor of like them restore well we'll I'll get to that in just a sec because Ko quickly finds out that Kelly has a mostly reconstructed like mobile armor mm-hmm. in his shed and and, and co is like his big ass garage and then co is like wow cool robot and co is like wow cool robot because i think part of it comes from the fact that like i think a lot of it is in in that is that like co is taking the competitiveness with mancha way too seriously mm-hmm. and i think the reason he decides to come back is because I'm doing this because I love mobile suits as pieces of technology why am i letting this mustachioed fucking asshole ruin that for me yeah on top of being like, and I have response. Why am I letting that distract me from all the shit that is important? I can see. And I yeah, think Ko I just found like a kindred spirit in terms of just being like a gearhead, like he is. Yeah, and then they then they have a fucking then they have a fun best friend montage to a fucking love ballad. And it, it it's so gay. And I don't think it was intentional, but it just it comes off that not. way. I mean, you know what? The same can be said of Top Gun. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Latora, Kelly's wife or girlfriend or wi- or whatever, is all is is so mad at Ko because she's like, Kelly almost gave up on, on repairing that thing. The one year war already took his arm. Like, he, it almost killed him. Like, what are you... You're gonna make him pilot this again because of your stupid fucking shit? Get out of here. You know he's Zeon. You're a fucking Fetty. Get out of here. And Ko's just kind of... Just like, but, but I don't want to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and she's God. just so mad at this stupid carrot-hating idiot. God, he, oh, he doesn't want to eat his carrot. See, that's like fucking... A... That would be ende- that would be endearing in a in a in a better paced character arc. Like he doesn't want to eat his carrots. Like Ko is Ko is like. Ugh. If this was like a full length show, I think the crew of the Albion and Ko would have in- would be would endear themselves much more. Ko is like Ko is constantly like the the more I think about it, like again that's why I love doing this show because like the the more I the more I process the show as we're talking about it, I'm like man like Ko. Ko is constantly almost cute and just always just hard pivots at the last possible moment right into fuckboy town. So uh, I'm going to take this moment to bring up the fact that Ko is voiced by Ryo Horikawa, who has been in a lot. His most famous roles being Andromeda Shun in Saint Seiya. Uh, He voices Reinhardt in uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes and Vegeta. That's buck wild. I honestly, I haven't heard enough Japanese Vegeta, so I I don't have the best frame of reference. But just in terms of character type, I mean, I guess that guy has some range. Yeah, I mean, like, because I could see like Ko, Shun, Reinhardt all being like soft spoken, pretty man. Yeah, and then we have angry pretty man. <laughs> angry pretty man with a widow's peak that could draw blood. Just fucking. So many dead husbands. So many. So, at this, so then they fin. Ko uh, gets back to the Albion in time to test out the Fulvernian, and he pilots it very well. And that's when directors change. <laughs> so, uh, Gato, who vanished for a lot, uh, goes to Delaz. He's like, "Why the fuck did you bring Sima with you? Like, you know, we can't trust her. She." Her, her, her dudes are fucking feral. <laughs> they cut the sleeves off of their uniforms. Some of them don't even have shirts on. Like, they're just straight-up thugs. And Ga- Delaz is like, listen, we need all the help we can get. I just picture Gato being real uncomfortable and, like, like covering, like, like shielding his mouth when he whispers. It's like, it's like you can see their nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. It's shameful. Yeah, right. Like Gato like like that that that's that's a character aspect of Gato that we should explore more is him just being like a kind of like a like a traditionalist prude almost. Is that why him and Nina broke up? Probably. Like she probably Cuz he like and that's why she's so mad at Ko cuz she has to deal with it twice in a oh row. Oh my god. At least like I feel like like that's that's the like it's I feel like it's more infuriating with Gato cuz it's like no, like Gato knows exactly what he's choosing to not do. Ko doesn't fucking Ko knows, Ko knows how to Ko could probably build a Gundam from scratch given infinite time and resources, but that boy can't find the clip for nothing. 
Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Ko has ever I think I don't think Ko's ever touched a boob. No, um God, that on that on that's in this episode females. That's in this episode. So throughout the um this episode <laughs> they find out that Mancha has been like taking candid photos of Nina and it's like it's gross. And I, I'm glad the show knows that that's gross. Mm-hmm. Cause like it sure this is a comedic moment, but it, that's be that that action is still treated as like that's not a good thing to do. Yeah, because Mora is beating the shit out of Keith, <laughs> and is like and is yelling at Ko, and then like she's like, "Did you take those pictures, Ko?" And Ko's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And he like drops the books he's reading, and Nina's like, "Nah, he he's he's too stupid." I love how like visibly visibly disturbed Keith is. It's just like <laughs> fucking. He's just like bruv. He's just like bro. Like what? What are you reading? What? It's like he's like he sees. <laughs> like that has fundamentally changed how he views his best friend. <laughs> I like, and this is the same time where Keith and Mora start dating. I think. Yeah. Or they go on a date, and I like that. They're good for each other. I hope they stay together. <laughs> yeah. Um. That'd be cute. Um, but, but just, I don't know. I don't know why. And also just like the, the, the notion of, the, the notion of pickup artist culture existing in the universal century, but for like, specifically drawing like cultural stereotypes between, like taking, t- like doubling down on gender norms and extending that to stereotyping space colonist culture versus earth like earth <laughs> fucking like i i think i think books like that still exist i think they existed more plentifully in the 80s and 90s but like i've i've been to used bookstores going through like quote unquote romance advice sections of like how to how to score japanese girlfriends how to win a brazilian husband yeah no that and that that shit like that 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 is real that shit is real and i love that it exists in that way like again like it's it's good world building. That's that's hysterical to me, and I love that. That I love that. It's it's so satisfying when a random one-off gag in a larger franchise just makes me stop and go, "That's canon now." S- somebody on Space Noid s- women who wrote it, Kai Sheehan. <laughs> it's under a pen name. That's he wrote that to pay the bills while he was in journalist school. He was. Charles Gun Cannon. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Chad Gun Cannon. Chad Gun Cannon. Fucking ch- Char Gun Cannon. Fucking no. Char Gun Cannon. Um. The Virgin. The Virgin God of the Chad Asnable. God. Um. But no. Sorry, I just had that image in my head. Yeah. No. While, while Kai was uh, in school for journalism, he was like he was like fucking writing trashy pickup artist books under a pen name. <laughs> so, at, we go back to Kelly for a little bit, and Latora overhears. Uh, well, Ko also overheard Seema talk. Seema and one of his guys talking to um, Kelly, being like, "Get this thing up operational by tomorrow." And we'll pay you, and you can join the Delaws fleet. And he's like, "Hell yeah, I can zig on. And Co still knowingly helps rebuild it, I guess, because Co is either stupid or just believing that Kelly wouldn't want to go through. Maybe I can get Kelly to not do that. 
Yeah, or or I think like maybe like they they had some like again some like buff clan samurai notion of like next time I see you we'll be on the battlefield like fucking. Because Kelly Kelly also doesn't know that Ko is the Gundam pilot. Mm-hmm. He just thinks Ko is some like Federation idiot. I mean, because he's not wrong. Ko is a Federation idiot. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we cut back to Kelly, and the guy who showed up with Seema the previous day is all like, yeah, I'm gonna pilot this, and he's like, what the fuck, no, I am, and he's like, no, we don't want some fucking one-armed fucking idiot cripple, like, throwing out a hard ableist term. Yeah. And, and Kelly's like, no, fuck that, I'm piloting this. I can do it. And, uh, so he launches in his mobile armor, and Seema just leaves that fucking dude for dead. I I think Kelly just, like, crashes into him, and his Zaku is, like, destroyed. Yeah. Owned. And Seema's just, like, fucking whatever. So, at this point, um, Keith gives Ko movie tickets, and he's like, go give these to Nina. And Ko is like, okay... And he, like, sits in, like, he, like, goes to Nina's office in Anaheim, and she's like, what is it, Ko? And Ko's like, uh, uh, the, 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 the Gundam. What about the Gundam? Yeah, and she's like, it's, it's, it's this great, it's, it's performed so well. Like, her body language is, is, her body language performs, like, performs her emotions so well. Just, like, she, she knows. She, like, she, she, she sees the tickets in his pocket. She sees in his pocket, but also just, like, the, the circumstance, the circumstances. Like, this is, like, this is the moment. Like, okay, like, because it's, like, you know, as, as somebody who grew up, uh, who grew up, um, extremely, who, who cr- crushed on people very easily a whole lot and also had zero game, this is one of those moments of just like, okay, this is literally the this is literally the only g- good fucking moment in a in a life that rarely gives you good moments to actually be real with the person you're interested in because like there's no one else around, there's nothing else distracting you, you're not talking about something else. It's like and you've come here for this exact purpose, like just fucking do it. Just say the fucking thing. And she knows that, and she's waiting for him to do it. She's like, she's like, oh, this is cute, like, cause like, cause she likes this boy, like this boy's cute to her. And she's like, okay, I, I, I can't, I, I get to see this. Like, I'm like, here it comes, here it comes, and he just like, he just, he just pisses the bed right in front, and he's and she, her just pisses her, himself right there. Her face just drops, and she's just like, what about the Gundam? What the, what the fuck are you actually? And even then, like. She she's not even disappointed on a level of like oh I thought I thought he wanted to ask me out but he just wanted to talk about the Gundam no she knows that too she's like I can't believe this fucking fuckboy is try couldn't even ask me out on a date and he's making up some dumb horseshit about the Gundam like she knows she, calls she him sees a coward. Right him yeah she's like you fucking coward and he's like uh and kind of like runs away <laughs> oh my god and like and again like in a better and like in a, in a show that. In a show with better moments of these two, like that, that that that's still a really good scene. But coming off of all of the other just groan-inducing shit with, with with Ko, it's like it was just another one of those. Like talking about it now, I'm like, this is a really good scene. This is a well-performed, well-executed scene, and I and I, like I wish it. there was more scenes like this. Yes, because I feel that like this is a good. I always said that Double Eighty Three's weakest part was its cast. But I don't think that's true. I think it has a good cast. It's just never properly utilized. 
Yeah. Um, cause that, fir that first director was too busy jerking off to Mecca. <laughs> um. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, though, they, so that doesn't work. <laughs> it, it doesn't, and at that point, that's when Kelly starts, like, threatening to, like, send out the Gundam or, like, or I'll, I'll start shooting at Von Braun, so they launch the Fulvernian, and Co. has a really good, like, really well-animated and, like, directed fight against Kelly, but, um, Co. manages to defeat him by, like, detaching the top half of the Fulvernian and, like, smashing a beam saber into it, to which he tells Kelly, use the ejection seat, and Kelly's like, I never installed one, and fucking dies. Uh... I, I I think this show I think I think like this show like again maybe yeah maybe if this show was longer, um I think a rec a recurring theme that a, a recurring theme that deserves more that deserves more closer inspection than than this OVA has time to give is is this notion of when when things get personal for for soldiers. Because it's like Ke like Kelly and Gato, and by the end of the series, Ko. Ko become like Ko. Ko becomes Gato's rival and foil, but only do but only through like ending up with his major flaw, which is like this time it's personal. Like it's it's one thing to believe in an ideology, but then. They they take on so much personal burden due to the war that it's that it's no longer it's no longer because of the cause anymore. It's just like this is the, either this is all I know or I have to get vengeance for like all of my comrades that died or it's just like no like you know what Gundam OVA did that better a little bit which Thunderbolt Thunder <laughs> yeah honestly I feel like. I feel like Thunderbolt, in a lot of ways, tackles a lot t tackles a lot of themes that that uh, that uh, eighty three that eighty three does better. Um, well, it tackles themes better than eighty three. A lot of the same ones. Because um, it's like the thing I like about Daryl and Eo's rivalry is, is that like is that they're kind of like even though they don't know each other, what little they know about each other are like represent everything they hate in the opposing faction. Mm -hmm. Or EO is an arrogant, you know, son of a rich kid who, you know, flippantly murders his comrades and just is given a Gundam for the fuck of it. Whereas, and then, you know, Daryl is this kind of, like, is seen as this kind of, like, gross, malformed, like, person to EO who, like, just won't ever stop or won't ever quit and is entrenched in the ruins of his home. Yeah. So despite the fact that Eo and Daryl don't know anything about each other, they still to each other represent everything they hate about the Federation and Zeon, respectively. Yeah, and and three couldn't really get that far. They they I, I feel like they were grasping at it. I, I I feel like maybe it was something they were trying to work through like mid production since, you know, it's an OVA so they're making it one episode at a time. Um because that, that's the biggest difference between this and, and Thunderbolt, in my opinion, is that, like, the stakes in this are very high, and this is dealing with a lot. Whereas the stakes of Thunderbolt are mostly, like, 
fighting over a single supply route so that the Battle of Alboaku can happen. In a way that in a way like, there are no in a way personal stakes are the only stakes. Because what yeah, they're fighting for is essentially pointless. like because the scale the scale of Thunderbolt is so much smaller than the scale of um of double eighty of Stardust Memory. And because Stardust Memory is juggling being like a top gun thing dealing with the same themes Thunderbolt is, and also being a prequel to Gundam Zeta. Yeah, and, like, it's... The latter of those being, like, the third of those is what it does the best, I think. Yes. Um, and, but, 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 but I just, I, but I feel like, yeah, essentially, they're... they're... Because I, I think it does want to... For a show that does love to lo- love to wow cool robot all over the, all over the place, it I I think what what little it ends up doing with the characters, I do think there's a whole lot of there's a lot of potential there. But I but it is sad that I do think the weakest the weakest thing that they couldn't really bring home well enough was like was the rivalry between like Ko and Gato. Like I just didn't. Yeah. It just never hit for me. Like, and that's why, that's why it was just such an extra, like, fuck you, when they did the fucking love triangle twist of, like, oh, Nina, Nina fucked Gato at some point, and, like, honestly, like, even with that added information, we didn't even get, like, a flashback, we didn't get, like, a a photo of them on a date, like, it just didn't feel real. I, yeah, it felt it felt like such an ass pull. It felt it felt super last minute. It felt like they pulled that out of fucking nowhere. Because I'm wondering because if that was a last minute writing decision, I believe that 100. percent That's my that's because my take. Real, the best episodes for me are um, the ones we're about to get into. Episodes nine, eight through ten mm-hmm. are probably the best episodes, and those are those three are written by Ryosuke Takahashi, the writer and director of Votoms. Good. That makes sense. That tracks. So I, I'm I'm really curious about Rebellion. I think the next Gundam manga we do is going to be double. Well, the first Gundam manga we do is going to be Double Eighty Three Rebellion, because Zionic Scanlations has recently translated all of it. Yay! So I'm probably going to read that in my spare time just to see if because Double Eighty Three has some really really good shit in it. It's just I would like to see a lot a lot of it elaborated on, which is something you can do in a manga. Mm-hmm. And I already know a handful of the changes they made, which all of which seem to be for the better. So, but uh, we get we move into the eighth episode, which is where the show starts really picking up. You, um, so right here we, we, we see that there's some weird collusion between SEMA and the Federation. And uh, the Albion gets close to one of uh, SEMA's ships that was meeting with the, I think the ship was called the Birmingham. Or uh, one of the fe- this Federation ship, and uh, the Federation ship is like shit. The Albion's here. Like, let's pretend we're fighting. Let's pretend we're in combat with with one of Sima's ships, and just blows up one of Sima's ships. And she doesn't really seem to give a shit. <laughs> and so a battle ensues between you know the forces of the uh, Albion and Sima's crew again. But uh, Burning notices weirdly a Federation corpse floating in space uh, in the wreckage of the one ship that uh, that the, the Birmingham blew up. So Burning gets out, and he's like, hey guys, like, 
Like earlier on, we see his his GM custom takes like a weird takes like weird damage. Like there's something like wrong with the internal systems. But burning finds like he, this corpse is like a briefcase like handcuffed to its hand. So burning like shoots the the handcuff chain link and takes the briefcase. It's like what is this? Looks through it and he's like, "What the fuck is Operation Stardust?" And he's like, "Oh, oh." Operation Stardust is more than just stealing the Gundam. And he's like, holy shit, I gotta tell you guys, and then he explodes. <laughs> and, uh, that, and that was the same episode where they all got, or like, where, because it kind of suffered from the fact that, like, this episode focused a lot on burning, and you're like, oh, he's, he's probably gonna die. Yeah, I mean, he already, because they're like, like the, I, I will say that it was almost helped that he had a couple close calls up until that point. Yeah, because he was heavily injured for a good chunk of the series. So I think it was... I think the show was was trying its best to throw us off the scent, because it's really easy to assume, like, oh, the old mentor figure who's already, like, had his day in the sun, like, bringing, bringing up the protagonist, like... Of course he's gonna, like... Of course he's gonna die. So it's like, I feel like they probably threw in a couple near-death experiences for him just so... Just so I like when the obvious moment happened, there was still this split-second notion of, like, maybe he'll make it. Fuck, I don't know. I like burning. In Super Robot Wars, you can give him the uh, the Gundam unit, too, the Faisalus. Oh, sick. Awesome. Holy shit, yeah. We'll have an old... We st- but I, I think burning... Uh, when it comes to, like, the... F- I, I like burning. I, I would... I could Burning would have joined the Aug. He wouldn't have fucked around with the Titans. Oh yeah, fuck. Burning would have smelled smelled the Titans a mile away. It would have been like fuck he this. Would have joined the AU in a heartbeat. Burning's like burning's real. I like burning. He's a real dude. Burning and burning and bright would would be fucking would be comrades for sure. Burning would be like bright would just be like finally somebody I don't have to fucking punch. Yeah, fucking. <laughs> God. Finally, some good fucking food. <laughs> Finally, an actual goddamn adult. <laughs> I thought they were all dead. If, if Burning was on the white base, I think Bright would have slept a lot easier. Yeah. So, um, with that, is we it then weird go that I just got really sad thinking about how Bright probably did not sleep very well at all for the whole one year war? I don't know why. <laughs> I suddenly got really oh. in my feelings about like picturing Bright just like trying to just like not being able to sleep every night. Like, holy shit! I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think Bright's ever slept well. No. How many nights has Mirai been like, "Are you coming to bed?" And it's like three in the morning, and Bright's on like his third glass of whiskey, and he's just like, "I'm not tired." <laughs> just staring out the window of their living room. God. And Mirai's like, are you sure you don't want to come to bed? And Bright's like, I'll be in in a minute. And he just stays there until sunrise. <laughs> oh, God. Can't wait for Hathaway's Flash. <laughs> Can't wait for Hathaway's Flash. So, um, yeah, we, uh, so we get into probably the best episode where, um, we find out that the Federation is planning at, they've, they've caught... After the one-year war, it, it, they've renamed Solomon to Conpei Island, and they renamed Alboaku to the Gate of Zidane, is what they call it, hmm. which are now just Federation outposts. The Gate of Zidane will later become the uh, the headquarters of the Titans in Zeta. Huh. 
and uh, so and Conpei Island is is Solomon. So the Federation have amassed all of their ships in um, at Conpei Island, hmm. and the Delaz fleet is waiting for this for a naval review, which is something that it's re it's a real thing. We're just you look at your entire navy and inspect every single ship in one place. It's 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 it serves two purposes as one to literally physically check your navy and B to be like a display of power. Yeah. Look how big my navy is. Like the British loved doing that shit before they went to war. Oh sure. And so uh, the Federation is doing this mostly as a power play to the space noise. Like yeah, and you guys want to fuck up, fuck with us, the Federation. Look at look at these millions of ships all docked out with GMs and Gundams and shit. Try it. Which is why the the um. The naval review is so mad that the Albion is showing up and trying to warn them about the fucking Delaz fleet, where they're like, "No, the Del we're going to let the Delaz fleet come to us, and we're going to blow the shit out of them with our massive fleet because we're the Federation." Fuck yeah. Um, to which Gatto then just launches a nuke at them, and just and I think he destroys a third of the entire Federation fleet, and then another third is not destroyed but inoperable yeah yeah so so basically two two thirds are wiped out but even then they're still just like even because they say the line like even with a th even with only a third of our even with only a third of our fleet we still outnumber them like we'll just keep going as as business as usual and we'll still fucking win like fuck these people but what burning learned that nobody else did was that while this is happening, while the Delaz fleet is now engaged with the Federation in active combat again, Seamudge, they're currently in the process of moving uh, a lot of the damaged colonies from Loom to, like, Side 7 and other colonies. They're, like, relocating a lot of where the colonies are after the, after the war. Because oh. I like to consider um, 0080 through 0085 to be the post-war period. Because the AU isn't established until 0085, which is then I consider that to be the start of the Grips conflict. Yeah. Where the Titans are established in 0080, in the in late 0083, and there's still and then there's there's some couple novels uh, that I want to read, like the Advance of Zeta novels that are all about the early um, days of the Federation of the of the Titans. Mm -hmm. Um. Which which is which seem to be interesting, and it, it's about like a lot of people buy like drinking the Kool-Aid and then realizing far too late that they were drinking fascism Kool-Aid. Because they liked their new cool jackets and wanted to fly some cool new Gundams. Great flavor of bitter aftertaste. Yes. So, um, at this point, Sima steals two of these colonies and uh, cl crashes them against each other to put one on the course to crash into the moon. Really fu a really fuck fucking cool sequence. Just... I, for, for some reason, it just made me think about like MythBusters, <laughs> just like the 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 science involved. I I guess like for for something for something more in our wheelhouse, like the like the, the way the way Gunbuster would just like put like make things would make the, like explain things like. Uh, With the little cheapy science lessons. Yeah, like the the science like like taking things that don't exist. But, like, being as realistically scientific as you possibly can be about things that are not real. Um, well, that's Hideaki Anno's entire shtick. That's part of why I love Evangelion, is they have an entire episode about the logistics of how to fire a giant sniper rifle at a flying diamond. Yeah, um... 
But that's also taken from like Ultraman stuff. That was that's what that's just the way Ano looks at. That's Ano's touch, which I I like. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like that that's very much... Ano loves the minutia of going into yeah, that. Yeah, but also that that's very much Gundam. Like, the, the whole reason you can do that with, with Space Colonies is that, like, the, the original 0079's, like, notion of sides were very much rooted in, like, f- future theory science fiction on, like, postulating on, like, futurism and, the, and like, what living in space might look like. Um, yeah, because the island cylinder type colonies are actually feasible. Those could possibly be made. Yeah. The, the whole notion of, notion of a side just being, like, the cluster of colonies all in the same gravitational, like, rotation. One thing that I do... one thing, different Lagrange points. One thing that I don't know if anybody ever goes into that I wanted to ask if you have uh, any kind of canonical world-building on. Um, how is there... Like, what's... What's making the gravity on, on the moon colonies? On the moon. On Luna. I'm not sure <laughs> about that. Because, like, I don't know. Because, like, when they... The way they showed Von Braun being kind of like a big, te- like a big tower with a spinning, rotating center, maybe that's how it works. Yeah, because it's like, well, because like, it's not that like, I guess the moon does have, the moon has some gravity. Yeah, the moon has gravity, just not as much as Earth. Like you can jump really high, but you're still gonna come maybe down. Maybe it's maybe is the moon? Do you think possibly the moon's gravity would be st- strong enough to be Earth-like enough if? Like, the deeper you go in it? I wouldn't know. I don't know. know. Hey, douchebag. Somebody who listens to us with any notion of physics or gravity, please tell us, because we think this is interesting. Yeah. Um, or make your own, make your own, make your own Luna with blackjack and hookers. Because I, that's one of my favorite details about Gundam, is that there is no gravity on any of the ships. Yeah, no, totally. I, I love the, honestly, like... Every every single time somebody uses those fucking those fucking hallway zipline handles, I'm j- I'm just hype. I'm just like, yeah, fuck yeah, I love those little handles. Or somebody jumps and then floats up to their yeah. Gundam. Yeah. I I just as as awful politically as the one year war is, I I would really like to live in that world. <laughs> oh sure. Like during a during a time of peace, like I'd like to maybe like the double O one hundreds, like like. Like, 115 would be kind of nice to live around there. Like, we're far away enough from Hathaway's Flash, but, like... Like, I, I think if I was going to live anywhere in Gundam, I'd want to live on the moon. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of cool. Living on the moon sounds awesome. Yeah, and plus, the like, like no, no matter how bad things get, I feel like the moon... The, the, the moon is the most consistently neutral and unaffected. Even Like, it is sometimes, but for the most part. I'd be, like, a low-level Anaheim employee that just tweets about how much they hate Anaheim until I get fired for doing yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um, I'm like a low-level Anaheim employee. Well, you, you would always, you know, you, you would always like tweet. <laughs> you would always tweet about your. You would vaguely complain about your job and never exactly say who you work for. But it's pretty obvious. Like, like, oh, Devin's on. Devin's on Luna complaining about like the technology company they work for. It's probably Anaheim. Yeah, but I'm still taking cool selfies in front of all the class. I get. I get fired for taking selfies in front of classified military technology. Oh. Abs- absolutely. That's how I get fired. Yeah, or or just like you fucking you go to. <laughs> it's like the it's like the it's like the opposite of accidentally sending someone a nude. You you try to send someone a nude and you accidentally send them a, a picture of a classified mobile suit. <laughs> That's how I get fired and also tried for treason by the Earth Federation. <laughs> That's how Devin meets a firing squad. Just no, it's just, it's just a bunch of t- it's a bunch of titans kicking the shit out of you. 
Oh god, <laughs> the Titans would hate me. <laughs> you get beat up by Jared. <laughs> I could beat up Jared. Oh my god. Oh my god, no. Oh shit. I think we hecked up. Now you're Camille. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I am very insecure about my masculinity, so goddamn. Devin is a man's name, and you are a man. Devin is a gender-neutral name, and I am a man. Devin is a gender-neutral <laughs> name, and I'm... Uh... <laughs> so anyway, um, one, so essentially, they're making this big display to show that we're going to drop a colony on the moon. So the battle continues... And the entire Federation fleet, Delaw's fleet, shoots after the colony. It's the Feder- and what's left of the Federation fleet is now shooting after them, leading them on this giant ruse cruise. Uh, at this point, Gatto <laughs> and Co are fighting. It's Gatto and Co are fighting, and they have like the Fulvernian and the Faisalis are both completely destroyed. Um, and we cut to Axis at this point, where the a- Axis is sending a fleet, to, like a neutral third-party fleet. To like discreetly resupply and aid the um, the Delos fleet, which is which is where Haman makes her little cameo. Mm-hmm. But uh, they give Gatto a brand spanking new uh, big mobile armor, and Gatto is more than happy to go and completely fuck up the Federation with it. Gatto literally is is being the most Gato. He just looks at it's like it's like the spirit of Zeon incarnate and it's just like, oh my god, you're never not on. I love it. Solomon, I have returned I do like was I, I do I do like that one there was like there was like a there was like a shot of like when when he's like when he does return to Solomon and he like for the first time like before he fires the nuke and he's just like he's basically just looking around and just getting more and more pissed. And um, I don't know if that this once once this strong symbol of Zeonic power, the the very the very place where Dazzle Zabi set up shop is now just the site of a Federation flex. Because he, he, like he's there, and and I'm not sure if it's like flashing back, but it's just like he he goes there. And when I originally watched it, I what I thought was there was just a bunch of like there was a bunch of shots of like s- scrapped Zaku's and like corpses still in pilot in the cockpits and I was just like is this like did they just never clean it up no I don't think they did <laughs> just, there's just like flotsam the, the, and the jetsam floating around the ruins of Loom are still there it's called the shoal zone oh my god and like that's good I love that That that's so good of just like they just never the best, the, the best part of the Zeta movies is the way they open where it's just like it, it starts with like it zooms out from just, like, a, a floating corpse of a Zaku pilot who's just been floating dead for, how, for like, eight years. And before, like, it, it's like a gacked song, and it's like, it, and then it zooms into side seven where it starts, like, it, I, I know. Strong, strong start. Immediate, immediate downgrade. Yeah, Metamorphize is not great, but... Oh, my God. That's the name of the but song. no, that's, I... That is really chilling. I, I liked that a lot. Like, when I realized what I was seeing, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I I guess they wouldn't, huh? Like, it's it's space. It's just going to float there. What do they care? It, so, um, 
the 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 entire plan is to lead the Federation on a ruse cruise so that they'll go to the moon trying to stop this colony. But what happens is that the Anaheim guys also are in on this conspiracy, I guess, because Seema's making all these like threats and the Anaheim guys are laughing because I guess it's it's all just a big show. And they they use this laser from the moon to ignite the um to ignite propellant tanks on the colony that then launch it into Earth's atmosphere. Because the entire thing is Delaz is like, haha, yes, I've been I meant to drop this on Jaburo. To succeed where where, you know, Operation British failed three years ago, four years ago now. Yeah. And he's like, and I did this with like a handful of ships when it took half of Zeon's entire fleet to do it the first time. And to be like, to be fair, like that, that's kind of impressive, Delaz. Like, sure, it's a, it's, a, it's a horrible war crime, but you're right. Yeah. You did it pretty. That, that there were some pretty impeccable odds and some pretty incompetent Federation officers. I mean, it it, it did involve an astronomical amount of things and separate parties all going correctly and cooperating. Like, uh, you fucking that 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 was like a fucking triple faint <laughs> like it's like oh fuck they 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 want to hit they they stole the they stole the Gundam gear and are going to hit us with a nuclear bomb oh no wait that was actually a distraction to steal the uh, like a, a way to hold us off while they while they fucking steal these colonies to try and fucking to try and fucking crash into the moon Oh no, wait, Anaheim was in on it, and they fucking, uh, and they're actually crashing it into, into Earth, and what we're about to get into, oh no, wait, Seema had her own ideas. <laughs> yeah, so the rogue, so Gato was right not to trust Seema, because just as this is happening, I'm gonna go, we're gonna go back to the Albion for what they're doing during mm -hmm. this, but just as, as, you know, the, the, the it enters Earth's atmosphere. They're like, okay, we have 36 hours to, to either destroy it or to change its course before there's, like, nothing we can do. And Seema shows up on Delaz's flagship and just points a gun in his face. Like, it, you, you, there's, like, some really chilling, like, scenes of, like, just her dudes just sit, kind of sitting there and, like, all of Delaz's soldiers are dead. Yeah. Seema's dudes just killed the shit out of them. And so Seema points a gun in Delaz's face, and she's like, haha, I've been kind of working with the Federation this entire time, so that, it, like, waiting for the right moment so that I can fuck you over. Because fuck Zeon, and Zeon fucked me my entire life. Seema is just bitter and hates everybody and wants to, to probably make this the worst it can be. Yeah, like, like, see, like, I, like, Seema, Seema is just here to be an agent of chaos and just like just to, like ruin things out of spite. Like she's causing problems on purpose. She she um she's like she's like a less folk she's basically a less focused char. Yeah, I think she Char had very individual hatreds, very individual grudges that he wanted to fulfill. Like he's like he wanted to put a bullet in every single member of the of the Zabi family and stick it to the Federation. That's what Char wanted yeah. to do. Seema just wants to fucking make everybody pay. Like Char Char is a Ch Char is the protagonist of a Shakespearean tragedy. Seema is the protagonist of a seventies exploitation revenge film. Yes. 
Um, and I'm and hot so, for both of those things. Uh. Sima, so Sima kills Delaz, which throws Gato over the edge. Where Gato's like, oh fuck, this is this is real now. And I think Delaz never fully anticipated that he was going to survive Operation Stardust. I don't think anybody thought they were going to survive Operation Stardust. Yeah, every everybody, especially like the the Zeon, the Zeon, every every Zeon involved, especially on every conceivable level, right down to like arguable arguable randos like Kelly, like every single one of them has been prepared to die since the one year war ended. A part of them died with Zeon. Yeah. And that's and I think that's what honestly like that's what that's what makes them so formidable cuz you're up against cuz it's it's people who have already lost everything sometimes twice over and who have truly nothing to lose by dying and everything to gain by taking even a chance at success and doing everything in their power to and pushing themselves to the absolute limit to to succeed in their goals and this is this is part of 0083 that really works yeah and and it's a mixed bag a lot of the stuff that works with 0083 really works yeah and 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 their opponents which is why the show in the end is worth yeah, watching and and their their opponents are people who are just high and like just just fat and fat off the notion of like we already won we're the big fuck kings of shit mountain like this doesn't like nothing they're doing actually matters um and that's that's also very interesting um it is because so at the this entire time like the albion now um they go to the Lavien Rose, which is this big ship owned by Anaheim that that first appears in Double Zeta. Yeah. Um, aboard the Lavien Rose, they're like, we have they're like Synapse is like, we need to get Unit Three, and Nina's like, I don't even have jurisdiction over that. How can we do this? And Synapse is like, I don't care. We got to get it. Like that's the only way we can stop this. The Federation fleet's not going to be enough. Which is like Synapse is literally like, we're about to commit treason. So, so so they go to the, the sh- so um ad they try, they're like maybe we can get Admiral Cohen to speak for us, but the Admiral Cohen is then forcibly removed from power and never seen again. Whoops. Probably put in front of a firing squad by the Titans. <laughs> Just gonna say this up front: nobody wins at the end of this except for maybe the Titans. Yeah. Like the the ending of double o eighty of double eighty three is my favorite part of it because I love how bitter it is. But we'll get into it because uh, they they're greeted by Nakoto, a like another Federation douchebag, who's just like, "Nah, you guys are you're guys gonna sit here and do nothing," because that's what I say. That's you guys are off the the Admiral Cohen is off the Gundam project. You guys have done nothing but fail and fuck up this entire time. To which like Keith is like, "Yeah, because you won't help us. You've been setting us up to fail this entire time." And Nakoto's like. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually they just co-befriends one of Nina's other co-workers and they decide like and she's like Lucette I think her name is and she's like Co you gotta uh, this colony's gonna kill everybody and you need to get you. I don't care we're gonna we're, you have to take the unit 3 to which she dies getting helping Co get it so they steal the unit 3 from Anaheim and they uh, launch it off 
while Gatto simultaneously is f- ripping apart the uh, the federate the attacking attacking Federation fleet, while ch- and he's also like Sima barely escapes death. That's one of the coolest scenes in the last episode. Is Gatto like sh- destroys the bridge of um of uh what's left of uh Delaz's ship, and Sima is like zipping away. <laughs> Dramatically, trying not to get sucked into the vacuum of space. God. Um, we see a cameo from Yamatov, from the main one of the main villains of Zeta, uh, as he point get as he points a gun at Cohen. Well, and uh, as he's like, "Why are you guys letting this happen?" And they're like, <laughs> "We know why we're letting this happen." <laughs> uh, Co fights valiantly, uh, but he just can't get there in time. Just no matter what it is, like, no matter how badass Ko's Gundam was, like, just one ship and one dude and a handful of mobile suits are not gonna stop a colony drop. Yeah, basically it was like, we have to get this, we have to stop this colony before it gets to a point of no return, and it fucking, it got there, like, it got there, like, and, like, the... There wasn't even necessarily, like, a pivotal moment of, like, we almost got it, like, they, they never really super had a plan. So then we see Basque, who is probably the most recognizable of the Titans with his big ass goggles. As soon as like I, as soon as he showed up, I was just like, "Fuck this!" Ugh, like I haven't like I I know I, I I've only seen like the first like probably like quarter of Zeta Gundam, if that much. Um, well, I, you watched up to when Haman showed up. I just think your memory of 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 you never finished Zeta, but you got around like thirty something episodes in. Did I? Yeah, because I remember you were talking about how much you loved Haman. I... I just remember you got burned out and decided to watch Gundam Wing. I think you're thinking of Alex. I think you did the same thing, though. I thought you guys both watched Gundam we Wing. We didn't do it together. I did, watched... Mi- we, we both watched Gundam Wing together, but I watched Zeta much later, and I think I only got, like, 15 or so episodes in, if if that much. Um, I thought you watched more of Zeta. I, we need to watch Zeta soon. We do soon. need to watch Zeta soon. Um... The ne- I promise everybody the next time we talk about Gundam it's going to be Zeta. Yeah. The next time we do a Tomino thing and the next time we do a Gundam thing it's going to yeah. be Zeta. So Zeta very soon. Within the next few months we're doing Zeta. Yeah. That's a promise. So um that that's part of the reason I want to do this episode was because I think I think it leads pretty well into Zeta. It, it much better than I remembered it doing. Um but yeah, but what I was going to say is like I don't know I don't know I don't know slash remember a lot about what I've seen of Zeta but like as soon as this fucker showed up I was like, "Oh Jesus." Yeah, so he shows up with the solar with the solar system too, which is uh, the Battle of Solomon was most was won mostly because the Federation used this big like system of mirrors to reflect enough light to melt half of half of um of Solomon, and uh, Big Zam was launched in an attempt to prevent it from firing. But then the Gundam, you know, intercepted it, and that's when Dazzle dies. Yeah. So, um, they made another one, which is Basque is commanding it, and he's, like, overconfident that this is going to make him a hero of the Federation. So I think, plan, I think, because they don't fully explain a lot of this. I think plan A was, we, d- we prevent Operation Stardust and Zeon is crushed. B, we, we get Operation Stardust to be as bad as it could possibly be, but prevent it from actually fully going off. So that we look like heroes and can use this as an example to 
uh, to launch to start our 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 coup of the Federation. Op and then secret option C. Even if we fail, we can then say, "Look, look at what the space noids did to us." We and then garner up enough hatred that we can that we can then weasel our way into our coup anyway. Yeah. So, the solar system just doesn't work. Even, despite the fact that Basque fires it a second time and destroys a lot of his own ships. And, uh... The, Gatto lands on in the colony and, and he's like, alright, I'm gonna make sure personally that this hits Jaburo, which is, I think, the only thing Ko managed to succeed in stopping. Because Nina sh shoots out enough core fighter when... Because both Ko and Gatto are, are on the colony. And this is when, like... I, I don't blame Ko for having this temper tantrum, because I fucking would, too, in his in his, in his situation. Because, God, that fucking sucks for him. Because it's like, he's there, and then, like... He shoots Gatto to prevent him from, like, getting it to land directly on Jaburo. Mm -hmm. But then Nina shows up, and she's like, No, I don't want you two to fight. And God, and so Ko's like, well, are you going to be with one of us? And she's like, I'm going to go with him. And Ko's like, what? This is the weakest part of the show, in my opinion. This is like, this is this is something I always forget about and kind of decanonize in my head because it's so dumb, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't even, I don't even necessarily think she's like, oh, I choose him. I think she's just like, well, I don't want either of you to die, and he's shot. So I'm going to make sure he doesn't die, and then you're fine, so, like, I gotta go. <laughs> to which he goes, ah, which I would do. Yeah, because it's like, it... Because, bro, that sucks. <laughs> it's a, it's an utter lack of communication. It's an utter lack of communication. Like, all, all she ever really has to say about any of it is, like, I care about both of you because I care about both of you. And it's like, you're Ugh. not... For, for for somebody for somebody who got the most mad at him for not just like fucking using his words to say feelings with his mouth, uh, you're not that much better at it, lady. <laughs> and then so, Gato and then Gato's just like, didn't I date you? I got shot. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, and then Gato punches her in the gut. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because he's like, because he he's basically like, okay, you need to stop being in this show. <laughs> Gato and Ko don't really have a fight anymore because Ko tries in vain, but I think he manages to prevent it from destroying Jaburo. Which honestly, as we cut to, honestly, if it had to hit somewhere, it probably should have just hit Jaburo. <laughs> so, um, Ko, Ko just kind of leaves. Like he he fires the dendrobium into the sky just out of frustration. Well, he kills Sima. Seema mobilizes in her Gibera Tetra and fucks up a couple Zeon guys and then immediately Ko just impales her on his massive beam they rifle. They don't even have a fight. They, they, they fucking cross paths and Ko is just like, I don't want to deal with you and I don't want you to be around anymore. And he just takes his gun and impales her with it. And it's... The, it... Out of... Out of all of the things that happened in Gundam, this was the one I was most like, Ko, you just murdered her. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, honestly, the Earth Sphere's a better place without Seema. Sure, yeah, no, totally, but it's... Like, in the end, but, like, still, he just fucking murdered she Seema. She deserved a fight. She deserved to go down 
in a cool fight. Like, what the fuck, Co? Like, I don't mind the fight ending like that. That's pretty cold, and I that's like when I think of Double Eighty Three, it just I, the like the way like the face she makes as her fucking helmet shatters is like burned into my brain. Yeah, no, it's brutal. Uh, I do like it. I do like it. I'm. <laughs> I like it on a I like it on an objective level, but on a personal level, I'm like fuck off, Co. <laughs> you, you, I think you're more mad that you robbed Seema of more screen time. Yeah, yeah. I once again, I wonder how Rebellion covers that. Oh, because the Gibera Tetra is also a sick ass mobile suit that we barely get to yeah. see do anything. It's so good. So, I, I make up for it by having Seema as one of my mains in Gundam Versus. Yeah, no, she, I definitely want her to be a titan in our fucking Super Robot Wars AU. Where she survives? Yes. Who, 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 who would kill Seema? I don't fucking know. I'd, I'll, I'll pro- I want, I want Kiriko to kill Seema. God. Imagine, like, Kiriko and Seema having, like, a knife fight. Um... No, she's about to kill Kiriko and Fiona Shooter. That's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to say her name wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> you will never remember Fiona's I don't name. Know why? I'm so sorry. I love her. Please, please listen to our Votoms episodes watch and Votoms. watch Armored Trooper Votoms. Uh, n- but, 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 please. no, yeah, she she kills Seema 100. percent They have a. Cool I, fight. I want Seema to do more. I want I want Seema to do more, and I want her to uh, I, I I want her to also interact with Haman in some way. Hell yeah! Because both of them are equally as bitter. They just get into a fight. But yeah, he just he even though they're on the same side at that point, I think Ko just Ko just kills the shit out of her. They just they just have a fucking would would they have an Edeon esque just like twenty second slap fight. <laughs> I want Cheryl to meet Seema. <laughs> I feel like they would just make out. <laughs> they would vibe way too hard with each other. That's dangerous energy. I don't want Seema going anywhere near the E Day. I don't want. I don't want Seema um, getting in a getter. Or do I? Ryoma would have a terrified boner being around Seema. Seema and Hayato would get along. If it's, it's if it's yes, ma- manga and or new getter Hayato, a hundred percent. Especially new getter new- Hayato. That's like most feral Hayato. Yes. Um. Anyway, tune in next week for uh, Eon episode yeah. three. But to wrap up Stardust memory, the colony does manage to to hit Earth. It lands in the middle of the I think in in the Midwest of North America. Which causes a, a, a short food shortage. Mm-hmm. Like I think the damages, the da- like there is damage, it, pretty bad. But like I think it was more like logistic damage than like a, a, the sheer amount of casualties. But still, a colony drop is a colony drop. Sure. Yeah. At, at uh, that point, if I was still living on Earth, I would definitely leave. There's been two colony drops. There's been two colony drops in like come. what three years. More to come. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, Earth isn't good anymore. We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go! So, uh, Gato rallies the last of his soldiers and says, because the, the Axis fleet gets a message from the Federation. The Federation are like, listen, we're gonna be at war in, like, five seconds if you don't get out of here. And they're like, okay, okay. We're disengaging. 
So all of the um, survivors of the Delos fleet are trying to break through the um, the Federation blockade so that they can get to Axis. And I think a couple of them make it, but mostly because Gato sacrifices himself to like take out a good chunk, a, a ton more Federation ships. Yeah. Like Gato dies in a t- in a like honestly, I think Gato got the best death that he he got exactly the death he wanted as a zeonic martyr. Oh my god, what if what if all of the what if all of the parts in our in our AU in our Super Wars AU where like characters that are supposed to die end up living? What if all of them are because of Wise Man? Yes. What if Wise Man just like teleports Gato to the other side of the fleet and he has no idea what just happened, but he just like keeps going? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Please watch Votoms. Please watch Votoms. So yes, um, we cut to after the uh, essentially we smash cut to the next month to December. The um, Basque is on TV, hating on space noids, wearing wearing very recognizable black jackets. Co is being court martialed and is sentenced to a year in prison. First, be uh, they don't show this, but apparently, according to um, stuff in the liner notes of the all of the laser discs, Captain Synapse was actually court martialed and executed. Oh my god! Because of he stole the gun of Unit Three, and he took it was either apparently it was either like everybody on the Albion was going to get punished, or it was just him. Yeah, he would. It, and so, according to the Gundam Wiki, like I mean, he did commit like a capital offense in terms of feder- of like military crime. So he took he got the firing squad. Jesus Christ! Captain S- Captain Synapse is dead. The Albion Yamatov apparently becomes the captain of the Albion. Um, as the you only see him from the back, but I assumed it. I assume it's Yamatov. Yeah, heavily implied. Who eventually becomes the leader of the Titans? God. Um. Everybody, uh, everybody has cool new black Titans uniforms. Yeah, Mancha and everybody. And Mancha apparently stayed with the Titans until uh, even after Gundam Sentinel, according to another Advance of Zeon uh, of Zeta novel. Um, that sucks. He gets more lore. Really would rather <laughs> could have done without it. Uh, <laughs> apparently he he loses the use of one of his legs. Well. But everyone's everyone's part of the Titans now. The Titans being the fascist military organization that they start as an elite anti-Zeon task force to like make sure that something like Operation Stardust never happened again. So that like they're essentially like a anti-terror unit. Yeah. But then they drum up way more you know space noid prejudice and hatred to the point where they slowly start over. They, they slowly start usurping power from the Federation government. Yeah. Turning them into kind of like an, a fascist dictatorship, which is how we find them in 0087 when it's Zeta like what starts. If fucking, what if Homeland Security took over the White House? You mean like they did in 2001? Oops. So, um. uh, with the, the show ends with Ko showing up at a military base. He's been completely kicked out of the military. I, I do like that. Like, I it, do like that. He specifically the the only reason he gets off so so easy is because technically everything that happened to him and that he was involved in gets utterly expunged from from military record. <laughs> so technically, he he was never tried. Yeah. <laughs> 
Co didn't even really have to serve a full year in prison because all of the crimes he because because like he's because like nobody acknowledges that the crimes he committed exist anymore. And because the Federation didn't want to make it look like Operation Stardust was any in any way their fault, mm-hmm. because it's awful. Nobody won. Yeah. Like, sure, Operation Star. Like, well, well, it co has somewhat of a nice ending where he, he reunites like, with with he, with his with friends, Keith and Nina. Because, like, you see, like a Gelgoog show up in like Earth Federation white, and it flashes Ko a peace sign, and you immediately know it's Keith. And he, you were you really like the peace sign that the Zod yeah. The I, was, I just had a moment of just like, who did that? Who who made it? Who built it to do that? Why would they build it to do that? Who taught Keith how to do that? Who thought that was a good idea? Uh, f- fuck that! But also, that's pretty cute. Keith's a useless twink. Um, but Keith is exactly where he should be. Co is exactly where he should be, and then it ends with Mon- with Mora showing up in a jeep with Nina in the passenger seat and she has like an like a, oh my god it's Ko kind of look yeah. and they they look, they see each other and the show just kind of ends and I I'd, I'd like to see more about what happened to Ko and and everybody yeah I I like to believe that Keith and Ko at least in some like in some way I mean like Ko has nothing left to lose his military career was already over he probably is one of the most hated people in the federation uh in terms of like top brass yeah, second only to Amuro Ray. Uh, well, Amuro right now is living in a big mansion, while where all of his servants are actually Federation spies keeping tabs on him because they're afraid that he's a new, t- because they're afraid of him for being a new type. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So that's where we find Amuro and Zeta. You know what? That's an interesting thing. I mean, I guess it's not interesting because I guess because I could believe that this is just the type of like because again, before we were recording, you were talking about types of Gundam fan, like tiers of Gundam fans that there are, and I could believe that the people working on this show were one of those fans. No new types in this one. Yeah, this th- that's something that all three of these um, OVAs share that we talked about. This kind of trilogy are all no. There's like. War in the Pocket declares that the Alex is made for a new type pilot. Oh, interesting little tidbit that I just remembered. Um, the the Gundam Alex is the first Gundam to have a three hundred and sixty panoramic cockpit. The second one is the is the uh, Dendrobium. Yeah, I did notice that. That was cool. And by the time Zeta rolls around, that's become the standard. Ooh, fun. Because in Zeta, whenever they show a cockpit, it looks like somebody's just a chair floating in space. That's because they have a 360 panoramic cockpit. Neat. The so, like, by the time we get to Zeta, by the time we get to Zeta, everyone has those. But I like that that, that you can see that that was like that. That's the technology they were testing then. That becomes the standard in the Griff's conflict. Yeah. Uh, so, what are, what are your final thoughts on um, I on uh, Stardust Memory? Now that we've gone through it all. I like I like it I I think I I think I do like it I think I like it I think I like it I think I like it a lot more than I I I think this rewatch I've slowly liked it more and more and then and then think and then mulling over my feelings and then talking about it here I I think I like it the more I talk about it the more I think about it I think I like it as as a Top Gun Gundam thing I don't quite like it as a Gundam, as a Gundam OVA, I like it, but I especially like it as a prequel. To I, Zeta. I think again, I think about you know, I think about interpreting, I think about in- interpreting it as 
as having some notion of intentionality in in the first half of its presentation like regardless of regardless of the realities of its of its production um i i i think one could one could excuse the first half as being like like a, a naive crew of post-war post-war naive military youths and overconfident like pilots like resting on their laurels and not taking threats seriously because they're still fresh off of a fresh off of being the winners of a fucking war and then the second half is the second half and it sort of slaps everyone in the face um, I, I think the more I sit with it, yeah. the more that's how I that's how I see the overall arc of the show itself. The more I sit with it, you know what? Yes, that that's a pretty good. You know what? Yeah, I my takeaway is that I I think even though this is my least favorite of the OVAs, I think this has a very solid conclusion, where despite the meander the meanders, despite the trips and falls that this series has, it really does stick the landing. Mm-hmm. In a way that like I don't th- I think the ending is the weakest part of something like Eighth Domestic. It's, it's kind of inverse like, of Devin, that. Is this <laughs> Is this Zeta the origin? <laughs> a little bit honestly. Just like the last like, I, that... the the, la- the last shot of this OVA is is just like and then, and so begins Zeta Gundam. <laughs> it just shows, like, I mean, it, 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 I'm trying to imagine just like Camille just getting yelled at by his parents for like skipping school Aww. and like that would have been cute. They should have done that. Have a little Camille cameo, <laughs> just like, just like a, a a young Camille, but like he still has, he just has a little piece of a little pair of mauve underwear. How old would Camille be? Because Camille's 17 in Zeta in 0087, so Camille would be 13. Oh, okay. Well, a little, little and, shitty middle schooler. St- little shitty middle schooler Camille. <laughs> Camille even with even less control over his emotions. <laughs> so, um, uh, one, qu- la- one last thing I wanted to present you is... Uh, out of all the Gundam protagonists we've seen, so you've experienced so far, where would you put Ko? Toward the back, back or toward the middle? Because I doubt you put him toward the front. <sighs> he's toward the back for me, probably. He's probably toward the the furthest back of Universal Century protagonists. He's definitely toward the back. Like I feel like even even in the best case scenario, where his where his arc was paced better and 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 they 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 they, they made him more successfully cute. Um, I. I do feel like he's just the competition's just too tough. Yeah, because like Aro's great, Kubiel's pretty great. I, I'm bi- Shiro. You said that Shiro feels like he's in the wrong anime. She, she. I think Shiro, the the novelty of Shiro compared to other Gundam pilots helps his case a lot. That that boosts him a lot for me. I. Shiro's also twenty four as opposed to like everybody else. Like, would you who would you consider the main character of? Would you consider Bernie or Al the main character of of War in the Pocket? Um, I think I think it's a buddy. I think it's a buddy show. I think it's a it's a buddy, not comedy, but <laughs> a buddy tragedy. A bu- 
it's a buddy tragedy. Um, but yeah, that's I, I think they both share this. I think they both share equal spotlight. Um, but honestly, I'd, I'd put... I'm sorry, what was the Gundam Alex pilot's name? Uh, Christina. Christina. I, I put Christina above Ko any day. Um, Need more Lady Gundam pilots. More Lady Gundam pilots, absolutely. And, uh, like, I'd put... I'd say, like, Amuro and Camille are toward the front. I like Benazir, um and Judo a lot. I'd say, like, if I had to put them tiered... Like, I'm just gonna go Universal Century, but I think, like, my S tier is probably Amuro, Char, and Camille. And then A rank, I'd probably put, like, Benazir. Um... Are we counting Char in this? And, like... Well, Char's technically the main character of Origin. Oh, sure, but I just I, I just meant Gundam pilots. Okay, just somebody who has physically piloted a Gundam? Okay. Yes. Um, well, the Yokoshiki technically... <laughs> does the... Where I'm does, gonna, where I'm does gonna Gundam gonna Wiki fall sh- on that one? Because that's... Th- th- that, can, that, that canon is, d- is debatable depending on what source you're using. Well, it's just because the... the I, don't, I don't think the... Um, Hyakushiki... The Hyakushiki is like... I think you could argue that it's a Gundam because in the Universal Century, what is and isn't a Gundam is kind of vague. Sure. Because it's like I do like, like that it, for its backstory. Like, it, it, regardless of regardless of canon, that's my personal like. I like that one a lot. I like that origin story a lot. Of like, it was supposed to be a Gundam, but that they just fucking didn't. Yeah, because it was gonna. It was part of the uh, well, because that was the thing. It was that um, that's where the Zeta comes from. Is that Camille was just zipping through like Anaheim archives and looking at blueprints. And uh, he was looking at the Delta Gundam's uh, s- schematics, and he was just like, in like an afternoon, because Camille's a new type, <laughs> and he like is just like, hey, I completely redesigned the transformation mechanism to make it like actually feasible and easier. And Anaheim was like, holy shit! And that's what the, that's became the Zeta. So the Delta was already half completed. So Char looked at it and was like, can you give me that? And they're like. I don't know, like, it's not done yet. He's like, if you guys get rid of all the transformation gimmick, can you give it to me quicker? And they're like, yeah, sure. So, yeah. We'll get to that when we do Zeta very yes. soon. So that was that Stardust memory. I think it succeeds the most as a lead-in to Zeta, bridging the gap between the post-war period of the One-Year War and the, and the, the looming Grips conflict, which, you know, is one of the biggest tragedies of the... In the, of the of the, the uh, one of the biggest tragedies of the one year war, uh, and tune in next week when we get we finish uh, Space Runaway Edeon the series. Yes, I wanted to uh, ask you: Are we going to start Yamato between the series and be invoked, or do you want to just jump into be invoked and then do Yamato in uh, two chunks, um, like back to back? I think, I think I'm ready to just. I'm I'm ready to just go all in on Ideon. I think we're in the final stretch. We gotta. I can't, I don't I don't know if I can start Yamato without finishing Ideon. Yeah, I I watched the first episode of of Yamato today again because I watched the first couple a while ago, which is when I decided I want to do Yamato on this mm-hmm. show. Um, Yamato's good, but I I just I I, I need I need to get all the Ideon out of my system. <laughs> but but de- but because I just finished infinite. it yesterday. And I am so, so excited to watch... We're going to watch Be Invoked, and it's going to be great. Hell yeah. Are, what do you want to do for A Contact? Or do you want to just... Are we just going to watch that on our own? And just... Because we could probably yada yada most of A Contact. Yeah, yeah. I'm... 
technically I've already seen A Contact, but I am gonna watch it again now that I actually have all the context that 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 Contact uh, failed to give. Eat A on A Contact. <laughs> because I, I think A Contact was mostly just kind of like a best, a greatest hits of the best moments in Eat A on. Yeah. Because it was meant to be watched like before, because like Eat A on had been off the air for like a year and a half after, um, by the time Be Invoked was in theaters. Mm-hmm. So, I I think we we will will briefly talk about a contact. So don't worry about that. But uh, thank you for listening. Um, you can follow us at Metrospective on Twitter. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Um, my 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 uh, beautiful non-binary wife and I, uh, Jazz and Jazz and I have a Twitch uh, Twitch channel that uh they mostly stream on but i'm on there sometimes too uh we are called bumble queens twitch twitch.tv slash bumble bumble queens all one word um and this morning well this morning of recording uh jazz did the final fantasy 7 remake demo that came out uh and that was fun i was drawing and watching Ideon while they were playing it so i didn't really see it much of it myself but it looked good um, but that's going up on our... We also have Bumble Queen's YouTube, where all of our stuff is going to start going up. Uh, Jazz played through Devil May Cry 5, and clips of that are going up soon. And we're going to be nice. playing Animal Crossing together uh, as soon as we possibly can, and hopefully... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to like actually be on the ball about like do- doing that for like content, because everybody's going to want to be all about Animal Crossing, because I certainly do. Yeah, and you can plug this podcast to people who are probably not interested in it at all. <laughs> I mean, hey, you gotta, you you gotta, you gotta try. Um, I want to do more video games on here, and I was thinking we could potentially. I'm I'm getting a better internet connection soon for my apartment, so I think we could probably stream and so at some point we could go through some of the armored cores or play a Super Robot Wars game. That'd be neat. And then we could do an episode about it when we could actually complete it. Yes. Uh, but that's that's later down the line stuff we want to do. Uh, the next couple episodes, uh, as you see, we are wrapping up the Edeon arc. Uh, we're going to be taking a break from Gundam. We're going to be having a. Uh, do you want to announce our Ghost in the Shell diversion? I mean, you just did. Uh... Well, I just did. I mean, I can edit it. I can cut this if you don't want me to. No, it's that's the fine. Power of editing, Tooch. Uh, we're doing Ghost. We're doing Ghost in the Shell. How, like, are we? We're doing a bunch of it. We're going to be doing the manga first, mm-hmm. then we're going to be redoing the movie. We're going to watch Standalone Complex, and then we're going to watch Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. And I think after that, we don't know what we're doing And I, I will, and go... I will, I will have weed. I found, we found a connect, so I will hope, I will try to recreate, probably fail. You, you know, you can't, you can't make lightning strike twice, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to rewatch it high again and see what's what. I'll watch it with Jazz this time. It'll be great. Has she ever seen the original Ghost in the Shell? Um, maybe? Uh, sometimes, sometimes Jazz will just watch stuff but not tell me about it because, like, I was at work and then, like, a week later they'll just be like, oh, yeah, I watched that. And I'd be like, wait, when? <laughs> so who could say? <laughs> yeah, because it's, like, uh, that... It's a, it's a great movie, just isolated from the franchise. It's, it's, it's great. But we'll talk about Mamoru Oshii and why he's great and all the various different takes on on 
Ghost in the Shell as a brand. We will not. Uh, we will has, not be doing. We will not be doing the live action movie. That's you'll have to pay us. We'll do that eventually when we go back to Ghost in the Shell. I'll do. I'll do a live action Ghost in the Shell movie when Hollywood stops fucking up and actually gets the Wachowski sisters to make it. Yeah. So, you can, e- uh, you can email us at metrospective at gmail dot com. Yeah, um, we don't have any. <laughs> do we have any? We do, I, No one wants to Please. talk to us. <laughs> Please tell us we're wrong. So if if we if we have if we made any mistakes in this episode or any of our previous episodes, please email us and have the subjects read. Hey, douchebag. Fight me. Fight us. Fight us better than Co would. It's, we we have to we have to defend our honor as samurai. Our brains are huge. Uh, Samurais of the Buff Clan with the biggest brains. So, that is Stardust Memory. We cry at fascism. I... We do. Now we're awkwardly listening to a love ballad. (laughs) At least they didn't play that while everybody was putting on their Titans jackets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they played the second ending theme. (laughs) Can, Can I say... I have a big problem with when they like with that because they played like the whole ending theme over that montage and then played it again for the ending. Yeah. I was like, come on, just like let let the montage be a little be like ninety seconds longer and like run the credits over it. Yeah, that, I don't know why they didn't do that. I don't know. Anime's weird.